0: you want it you need it it's what everyone's
1: talking about the kevin sheehan show now here's kevin <laughs> whoa that's much better love that sound love that intro love this time of year it's march it was snowing earlier this morning i don't know if you caught it if you're I've up really well. early it was snowing at about 5 45 6 a.m this morning Uh, Not much, Uh, and hopefully that's the last time we'll see that until next winter. Good morning, everybody. Chris Naki shortly, J.P. Finley after that. We will get to the Stefan Diggs thing, Redskins fans. I I said on Friday's show, it didn't make any sense. I'm sitting there Saturday, I'm like, doesn't make any sense to me. But maybe you know something crazy is gonna happen, but a lot of you are gullible. Like just you gotta think some of these things through. Um anyway, the DRC signing after we left the show on Friday we'll get to that. Uh, some of you really really crushed me for saying, you know, this is not a big deal. Um, I think it could go the way that Orlando Skandrick went like he he may not make the team. I, the guy was retired they're they're not. Right now, they are being denied by big names. And what's left are players that are coming out of retirement or coaches that are coming out of retirement to be a part of this organization. Whatever. We'll get to all that, including the Redskins tweet, St. Patrick's Day tweet from yesterday. God, they are dumb. Um, No other Monday. No other Monday on the sports calendar, Aaron, resembles this Monday. And you know why? It's the only Monday during the sports calendar where we don't spend time recapping games from over the weekend. Talking about the games that we watched over the weekend on this particular Monday is irrelevant. This Monday is different. The bracket is complete, the tournament field is set, and that's all anybody cares about. There were some very good college basketball games this weekend. Nobody cares today. Conference champions were crowned on Saturday and Saturday night and Sunday. Complete afterthoughts. Nobody will be talking today about the Kentucky-Tennessee game from Saturday, which was unbelievable. Awesome. The Carolina-Duke game from Friday night, the ACC semifinal, which was off the hook. The Monday after the brackets are out, No discussion of what happened over the weekend. All of the focus is on the bracket and the filling out of the bracket this tournament. These conference championship games that were played yesterday, nobody cares shortly after they end. You know, the Sunday games in particular really get masked. You know, it's almost as if the Big Ten final is just something to bide time before the selection show begins. Anyway, I'll mention real quickly that Zion Williamson's performance from over the weekend was amazing. You almost He's good. Yeah, you almost forget during those 3 weeks that he was as good as he is. He's a rare thing heading into this tournament, Aaron, and I was thinking about this late last night. He's a true star player, a star of the game that everyone is talking about and everyone wants to see play. Zion is the biggest star college basketball has had in a long, long time. Can you even remember who's la- who, who was last year's Player of the Year? Right now, for 100 bucks, who was last year's Player of the Game? Three, two, uh, one. One. Jalen Brunson was right. How about the year before Frank Mason, the year before that buddy healed Frank Kaminsky, the year before that Doug, D- Doug McDermott back in 2000, whatever that was 13 and Trey Burke the year before that, you know, for those of you who are convinced that the players move the needle in college basketball, you're so wrong. The teams, the coaches, the uniforms, the rivalries, and the tournament, Duke, Carolina, Kansas, Coach K, Roy Williams, Tom Izzo, Carolina, Duke, and of course, this month of March, the tournament, the bracket you're filling out today, those, these are the stars of the sport. The players are there for a lot of things, but from a basketball standpoint, the coaching and the marketing platform that is Duke's uniform, Carolina's uniform, and the month of March. What that provides these players is invaluable. Did anybody know who, who Kobe White was two months ago? Some of you still don't know who he is. He's turned into a star at North Carolina. He's gone from being on few mock drafts anywhere first or second round in November to now being as high as the number five projected pick in June. If Kobe White had decided not to play college basketball because he wasn't going to get paid and instead sat out or played in Europe, what kind of an endorsement deal would he get as a rookie next year? Where would he have been drafted? Do you know who wasn't a consensus number one pick in the NBA draft as recently as two months ago? Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson. R.J. Barrett was the consensus number one pick two months ago. You don't think Zion Williamson made money playing college basketball this year? Seriously. He became the biggest star we've seen in the sport in a long, long time in terms of a player. The stars in the sport aren't usually the players Heading into the tournament, I mean, if you watched the tournament show last night, all of the tournament shows, and you're listening to Jay Billis and Seth Greenberg, you know, rip off the names of the supposed stars, most of you have no idea who those players are. I mean, even Kentucky right now, you know, John Calipari, name Kentucky's leading scorer right now. Right now, most of you cannot do it. You might be able to do it in two weeks because of this tournament, because PJ Washington is the answer. Seth Greenberg last night, you got to love Texas Tech. Chris Beard doing, doing doing a phenomenal job. Jarrett Culver, Matt Mooney, Tariq Owens, that team can go a long way. Many of you have no idea who these people are. None. And how about when one of the analysts on one of the shows last night starts telling you about how good Wofford and Buffalo are. You don't know any of the players who play for them, but you might in a few weeks. The tournament is the star. We do, however, this year have a different setup. We have a star player entering this tournament, and it's Zion Williamson. It is without a doubt the first legit major star we've had entering this tournament in a long, long time. The tournament doesn't need a Marin. The tournament never really seems to need the star players heading into the tournament. The stars of the tournament heading in, again, are the coaches, the bracket itself, the pools around the bracket, the marquee names of teams, and then during the tournament, stars are born. Even if some of these players were really good players during the regular season, they become more recognizable because of the month of March and this tournament. Zion's different though. Sports fans who barely pay attention to college basketball, they know who Zion Williamson is. This tournament is different because Zion Williamson has become must-watch. It's been a while. It really has. It's been a while since we've seen a player bring this kind of attention to the sport. A player. I know a lot of what I just addressed deals with the subject of paying college athletes, but this is what you have to think about as you get ready for March. You don't know who many of these guys are, and because of that, if they weren't in this thing... They wouldn't be on the verge of being drafted super high and on the verge of getting a massive endorsement deal before they ever dribble one basketball in the NBA. People aren't watching this tournament more times than not because of the star players. They don't know who the stars are in this sport now. Most people are just starting to pay attention. Zion is different, though, this year. As an aside, I'm not surprised that Duke is the favorite to win it all. I'm not surprised that a lot of the analysts basically, you know, are picking Duke um, and think that they are borderline unbeatable with Zion Williamson. I don't personally think that though, Aaron. I think Duke can lose.
2: I have them losing in the Final Four. and my, I, I haven't filled out my full bracket, but I know I, ha, I have them losing in the Final Four.
1: We'll fill out brackets somewhere so you guys can follow along with our brackets, and we'll figure that out here uh, today. Carolina was right there with a legit chance to win on Friday night. That would have comp- completed a three-game sweep of Duke. Now, the first two were without Zion. I mean, he played the first part of the first game at Cameron Indoor and blew out his you know, knee and shoe and the whole thing, um, but Carolina could have easily won that game on Friday night. I don't see Duke as a lock at all. In fact, I like North Carolina to win the whole thing right now. I think they've got I like a very... Gonzaga. I like Gonzaga too. I think they've got a chance too. A few other teams. Um, by the way, I think a lot of people heading into this tournament because of the three Carolina Duke games that we've seen, two of which which did not include Zion Williamson, but are memorable nonetheless... I think a lot of people this year are hoping for a Duke Carolina final. I don't think anyone <laughs> will complain about that. A fourth matchup, <clears throat> excuse me, a fourth matchup between the two teams. You know they've never played in the NCAA tournament. A final four matchup, by the way, between the, those two teams. It would be in the championship game. Would be a dream for CBS. A dream. Oh, Zion yeah. being part of that again, one of the players that be unique actually does move the needle. But the two programs, the two, the greatest rivalry in the sport, and one of the great rivalries in all of sport, matching up in a championship game. You know, as many Final Fours as Carolina and Duke have been in, they've rarely, if ever, matched up with other ACC teams. Duke, of course, had the 2001 semifinal, national semifinal against Maryland. That is the only ACC team that Duke has ever played in the Final Four. All right, I don't think they've played many ACC teams in the tournament, Unless you want to count the recent ACC, I think they played Syracuse. Didn't they play Syracuse recently and maybe even Notre Dame?
2: Yeah, and there was one year where they had like nine and ended up facing someone in the Sweet 16, I think. Yeah, I think it was Notre Dame. Yeah.
1: I think it might have been Notre Dame. And I think Carolina played Syracuse recently. Um, Actually, they did. They beat them in the Final Four two years ago, didn't they? Didn't Carolina on the way to um, losing to Villanova, didn't they beat Syracuse? that miracle Syracuse. Yeah, so that was technically, I guess, an ACC it is Match an ACC up, matchup. I know. But, uh, but from the ACC that we remember, Carolina faced Virginia in the Final Four in 1981, the Ralph Sampson-Virginia team. Um, that Carolina team had uh, Michael Korn, Al Wood. Um, that was not the, um, the Jordan-Worthy-Perkins team. Uh, was Worthy on the 81 team? Worthy was on the 81 team, I think. Um, that that was a game that Carolina won. They beat Virginia. Uh, that was Ralph's only Final Four. Um, they beat Ralph in that 1981 Final Four game and then lost to Indiana in the national championship game. That was the March day that Ronald Reagan was shot um, down at the Washington Hilton. They thought about canceling that championship game in 1981. They went ahead and played it in Indiana. Uh, beat Carolina going away in that 81 final with Isaiah Thomas. Anyway, um, they've never met in the tournament. There was a – in 91, Duke's only title. In 91 – I'm sorry, Duke's only title. Duke's first title under Coach K. Um, It was Kansas beating Carolina in one semifinal. So it could have been a Duke-Carolina final, but Duke ended up beating uh, Kansas. Anyway, I just got sidetracked. My fault. Let's get to this year's field and Maryland's draw – In particular. And for those of you that have asked me in the last few weeks, I'll address UVA and Virginia Tech as well. We'll look at their draw as well. Overall, Aaron, I don't really have many gripes with the teams that got in and those that didn't. NC State didn't get in. And how about NC State Athletic Director Debbie (laughs) Yao's statement after the Wolfpack didn't get in? (laughs) Debbie was not happy. Debbie, of course, was the Maryland AD for many years. And... You know, Debbie was not a favorite um, uh, among a a lot of us Gary supporters because that relationship was never good, Gary and Debbie. Um, But she released a statement um, when NC State wasn't included in the field, and she basically cited all of the metrics that the NCAA said before the season that they would use to to determine the 36-at-large teams. And NC State ranked in the top 33 of all of them Except for one, and that was non-conference schedule, which was the only metric that, you know, hurt them. But it hurt them badly because they were ranked 179th.
2: I'm surprised it was that high. On Ken Palm, it's it's ranked 353. All right, well, in the net, it was 179th.
1: And let's not forget, and I mentioned this on Friday to Patrick Stevens, NC State scored 24 points in a college basketball game this year against Virginia Tech. 24 um, Debbie went off, um, but I didn't really have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with the teams that got in and those that didn't. I'll admit that, you know, I wasn't this year wrapped up in all of the numbers late in the process. Primarily, it's a selfish thing. My team, wasn't a bubble team when maryland's a bubble team i'm really involved in looking uh, at all the numbers but they weren't a bubble team this year they were safely in the field i did watch a lot of college basketball games and teams like you did aaron over the over the season and of the final teams that got in versus those that didn't i'll just make this one comment I personally, and Ohio State wasn't one of the final four in. I think they were probably one of the final six or seven in. I just didn't think they were a very good basketball team. I know they were missing Caleb Wesson uh, over that final stretch of the season. They just didn't impress me over the last month and a half with or without him. And I'll be honest with you, I, I watched Belmont in their tournament and I watched him I think once early in the season. I don't think uh, Rick Bird's a good coach. I don't think Belmont's very good. And I thought Indiana and TCU in particular were two teams more capable than Ohio State and Belmont. But overall, no real issues with the field. I did wonder, however, about some of the decisions related to seating and locations of some of the top teams and potential conflicts in game venues that could Uh, that we could see down the road. Some of it didn't make sense. How the hell is North Carolina the number one seed in the Midwest region? And if the teams in their region advance based on seed, they'd have to play a Sweet 16 game against Kansas in Kansas City. That wouldn't be fair. Now, it may not happen, but based on seeding, the committee expects it to happen. So therefore, they shouldn't have done it. Kansas should not have been in that region, period. You cannot have the number one seed playing a, a potential road game in the Sweet 16.
2: Well, But you were calling for it for Maryland
1: before. Different. Not, no, I, was not, not, I, I was not calling it, uh, Calling for it. I was hoping for it. You were it. hoping for it. I was it. hoping for yes. it, yes. But I didn't necessarily say that it would be fair. Okay. Now, Maryland as a six seed. They well, but you
2: wanted them as a four or a three. Yes, yes I did. Really. I wanted
1: them as a four or three in the in the East, and it wouldn't have been fair from that standpoint either. Okay, but I still wanted that. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Maryland is a six seed and could play in DC in the East Regional, but they're a six seed. They aren't expected to make it to DC. Different issue than Kansas, who is a four seed and project and projected to make it to Kansas City for the Midwest Regional. The Terps are not projected to make it out of the first weekend. I think that that's a problem, and I think that the I think the the committee just completely whiffed on that. How how can you not sit around that table and say a number one seed and is going to play based on our seating a road game in the Sweet Sixteen? It's just brutally unfair. It, it's brutally unfair. But as far as what the committee did and why
2: they did it is because based on their rules, based on the bracketing principle, that is the correct thing to do. It, it changed six seven years ago that. Location matters more than anything else.
1: I understand they want to fill those arenas. It's not. It's not a fair thing for a team that deserved to be treated with the most fairness. You're a top seed in the region. It. And by the way, we're not talking about a fan base and a location that. Uh, it, it might be a home court advantage. No, no, no. If Kansas is in the Sweet 16 playing in Kansas City, it's going to be a home yeah. court advantage th- th- for them. This
2: isn't Vermont playing in Hartford no. against Florida State. No, <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, the other thing that bothered me was Michigan State um, and where they were put. Uh, first of all, I think they had a case for a number one seed by the time we got to the end of the day yesterday. I agree. So, worst case, to me, anyway, they had to be the number one two seed. They were
2: the number two two seed.
1: I know, behind Tennessee, right? Well, uh, personally, I think Michigan State should have been the number one two seed. But still, it still applies what I'm going to say. Um, By the way, they were a regular season champion in the Big Ten, the tournament champion in the Big Ten, and a team that did it without two of their... You know, best players for a significant stretch uh, over the final you know month and a half of the season. Now they got one of those players back, but if Michigan State wasn't going to be an, wasn't going to be a number one seed, then they should have gotten a favorable number two seed draw, and they didn't. They drew the number two seed that matches up with the number one overall seed in the tournament, and that is Duke. Now, the committee will tell you that we don't use the S-curve. Yes. All right? And that one of the goals is to keep our higher-seeded teams as close to home as possible. Yes. So ask Tom Izzo if he cares that much about playing in Louisville, Kansas City, or D.C. like any of them is that much closer to East Lansing. Uh, Tom Izzo, by the way, was not happy. And you rarely hear him complain about this stuff. But he was not happy. He thought it was it was unfair that he got matched as you know the number two, number one or number two, number two seed in the bracket with the number one seed in the tournament. Look, it's real simple. It should be real simple. And I know they, I know they don't do it this way. But if you take the top eight seeds, the number ones and number twos, then the number one seed should be projected based on seeding to play the number eight seed in the elite eight, not the number five or six seed in the Elite Eight, which Michigan State probably was. Made no sense. Look, Michigan State beat Michigan three times this year. All right? Three times in the last month, by the way. And Michigan got put into the region with Gonzaga, who was the fourth of the number one seeds. So based on seeding, Michigan got the easiest number one seed as a number two. That's messed up. No way Michigan deserved, on paper anyway, an easier Elite Eight game than Michigan State, a team that had beaten them three times. I know that that's not the way it's set up. I guess my, my point is it should be set up that way. Right, they, they should go back to an S-curve is what you're saying? Yeah, they should go back to the S-curve. Absolutely should go back to an S-curve. And if there are certain rules about locations and not facing conference tournaments, then you adjust accordingly. But in that particular case... There's no reason why Michigan State should be playing a potential Elite Eight game against the number one seed in the field. When you could have easily debated and argued that Michigan State should have been a number one seed themselves. Um, The only other thing before we get to uh, Maryland's draw and some of the other uh, locals, or if you want to call them locals... Um, There's a first-round matchup between Louisville and Minnesota that raised some eyebrows. Rick Pitino's son's team, Minnesota, against Rick Pitino's former team, Louisville. You don't think the father's going to be helping the son get ready for a team that he knows intimately? um anyway in summary other than the Michigan State seeding and Kansas getting the chance to play a virtual home game in the Sweet 16 as a four seed by the
2: way Cincinnati gets to do that in the second round as well in Columbus Tennessee, in Columbus
1: yeah that's you're right but you know no you're right you're right I, I was gonna say I was going to I was going to Basically put less emphasis on that because Cincinnati, they they actually do have a rabid fan base. Yeah. they, I, I think they that's actually going do to be a
2: pretty strong fan yeah, base there.
1: That that will be. But you know, Columbus from you know, from Knoxville, it's not that no, long of a drive no. either. So Tennessee's close to that as well. Um, but anyway, no other major issues. All right, let's get to Maryland uh, now and they're drawn. We'll look at the, the field in general, we'll talk about Virginia and Virginia Tech. Um, as well. Uh, Several of you, when I I tweeted out that I like the draw, that I think that they um, can beat Belmont and Temple, and people said, well, you mentioned how much you like Temple and Fran Dunphy earlier, and I do. I love Fran Dunphy as a coach. I like Bird as a coach too, the coach of Belmont. Two very good coaches. Dunphy's always been one of my favorites, in part because I've just always liked the way Temple plays. I mentioned that I liked the way Huggins played, I like aggressive teams. I like defense in football, aggressive defenses in football. I like aggressive mindsets in basketball. Um, Fran Dunphy has recruited at Temple consistently over these uh, over the years, and at Penn, these tough Philadelphia high school players, boxy, physical competitors. And, you know, he's had a couple of decent tournaments and he's had a couple of where he hasn't uh, coached them up real well, or they've just had bad matchups. Maryland's a better team than Temple. All right. They're a better team than Belmont. This is not Belmont's best team in recent years. I... I haven't watched Belmont a lot. I'm not going to lie and say that I have. I did watch their tournament game against Murray State. Not overly impressed. Wasn't impressed, quite frankly, with either one of those two teams. And I was thinking, and I said on Friday, I'd be fine if Maryland got matched up against Murray State. And I'm fine with them getting matched up against Belmont, who was a three and a half point favorite in this first four game. There are advantages in being in that six-seed spot where the Terps are and facing an 11-team, facing another 11-team in a first-four game. And then I think there are disadvantages. The advantages are they've got to play a game, and then they've got you know to turn around, travel, and prepare for Maryland in, in, in essentially one day. But don't think that they're preparing for them in one day. They they are putting together a scout on Maryland as they are on you know each other, meaning Temple and Belmont. You know they're going. It's not like they're all of a sudden going to start on preparing for Maryland if they win the game on Tuesday night. Um, they have enough people that can scout and put together a scout on Maryland. But you know, playing two nights earlier in this case, it'll be less than forty-eight hours. It's 30,
2: Thirty-nine hours, about, yeah, since they played playing the three o'clock game.
1: Yes, uh, because it's a three o'clock game, they'll have to travel and play. So there, there's that advantage. But the advantage for the two teams that are playing is that they get the nerves of the tournament out you know, and they've already gotten through that, you know, there's something about that first game in the tournament, you know, in a sterile environment on a neutral court, especially the early day games where there's not a ton of excitement. It's different than what they have faced over the last couple of months of, of, you know, raucous home environments or intimidating road environments. And getting used to that is something that will happen with Temple and Belmont tomorrow night in the game in Dayton and they will have gotten used to that so we've seen first four teams win I I actually we should go back and look at that how many times the first four uh, a first four winner has advanced in the next round because it's happened a few times I'm pretty sure it's happened a few times I
2: I think it's almost every year
1: yeah and now these aren't you know threes over uh, fourteens over threes these are you know two twelves and two elevens right uh, in, in, it,
2: it depends on the year. Occasionally, it's higher. Occasionally, it's lower. But yeah. So
1: this year, we've got two 11s in Belmont and Temple that will play Maryland. Yeah, here we go. And actually, two 11s in oh, Arizona yeah, State and St. John's that are going to play Buffalo. Um, in that first four game. By the way, the first four has turned into not a very big television show, which is always what CBS you know, CBS, TNT, TBS, True TV, what they always wanted. They wanted, they didn't want 16s versus 16s on that Tuesday night. They wanted, you know, some high profile programs. It really hasn't moved the needle. I believe if we look at, look at the ratings, pretty sure the ratings have not like gone through the roof on that Tuesday and Wednesday night in part because sometimes you get teams like Middle Tennessee State playing in the game or BYU playing in the game. This year, Belmont and Temple, who's excited about that? Who's excited about Arizona State and St. John's? Not anybody. The tournament really, for most of us, starts on Thursday. You were going to say something.
2: Uh, yeah, As of last year, a first four, uh, at least one first four uh, winner has advanced every yeah. year.
1: In, in the following round. Yes. Yes. And I think part of that is because they are into a rhythm of playing in these environments that you get in the NCAA tournament. Um, yesterday, what I was really hoping, and I didn't mention this on Friday because I hadn't seen them play in a while, but after watching Florida play twice, I kept thinking, oh God, we're going to get Florida in a six-eleven game. And a lot of people had that mocked out. I think Lenardi had a Maryland-Florida game mocked out. Uh, and I was thinking it could be a six 11 game or seven 10 game. I do not think Maryland would have matched up well with a Florida. I wouldn't have been thrilled quite frankly with Seton hall again with the way they're playing and the way they can spread you out. Um, I wouldn't have been thrilled with that game. So actually Maryland's draw, I actually like it. I think that they are better than Belmont. I think they are better than temple. Belmont's the favorite in that game. I wouldn't surprise me if temple wins. Um, I think that they can win that 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 game uh, uh, Thursday afternoon, th- Thursday in Jacksonville. I think some of it is what I've been saying, you know, periodically over the last month, and that is after they get out of this Big Ten grind, that it might be easier earlier in the tournament for them playing a team that they are unfamiliar with, but that is also unfamiliar with them. I think Maryland defensively, and I think some of these Big Ten teams uh, in particular on defense that they're going to hold some of these free-flowing offensive teams like Belmont, if they play Belmont, to a much lower shooting percentage than they are used to um, because they will be defended in a way that they were not defended in their own leagues. Uh, That's just an observation from past tournaments and a a gut feel on what could happen with Maryland against either opponent uh, in the first round. Now, the rest of their draw... They get the LSU-Yale winner. Well, that's better than any two they would have had as a seven, and it's quite honestly better than the other threes they could have had. I would not have wanted to play Texas Tech or Houston mm-hmm. in a second-round game. LSU is going to be without their head coach more likely than not. Yes. Okay, so...
2: Chance that they're at one of their better players, too.
1: Yes, they had an injury. So uh, they're playing Yale... Yale, a lot of people are giving a chance to. Y- Yale's I underseated.
2: Seen... I think Yale should be a 13, probably not a 12, but probably should be a 13.
1: I haven't seen Yale play, so I'm not going to um, make a determination on what how Maryland would match up with Yale. Uh, with LSU, it's a winnable game if they get to that in the second round in Jacksonville, You know, especially with all of the turmoil uh, that has engulfed the LSU uh, program. And then, Aaron... <laughs> Okay, let's let's dream a little bit here. And then, if they were to pull off two wins, guess what? Capital One Arena downtown for a Sweet 16 game, more likely than not, against Michigan State, which would be a very difficult matchup for them. And then, if you really want to dream, Duke in the Elite Eight, which would be, I think for a lot of us, it would be the dream situation. Look with all the pressure that Turgeon is at least perceived to be under, at least by a lot of the people in the fan base, what a difference a couple of weeks could make. If he were to win two games this weekend, advance to a sweet 16 and have virtual home games in the sweet 16 against maybe Michigan state and Duke, both of those teams would be, are better than Maryland in, in by the way, by a lot. Um, they did not. They got blown out by Michigan State in their one game against Michigan State. They would be a solid seven, eight point underdog to either team. I think they would be. Uh, but anyway, th- the truth of the matter is the way they play, I can see them winning two games this weekend, and I can see them losing their first game. Yep. Uh, it's just been frustrating to watch them uh, all year long for all the reasons you know we've spent time talking about i personally think that the preference should be a higher possession game more up tempo um god how about watching some of the games in the acc over the weekend especially carolina duke and then thinking about those big 10 games that we had to trudge through uh, during the course of the year um it's it, it's just different basketball and i think you've got to be able gary williams has always told me this and he's going to be on the show on thursday uh, Gary Williams has always mentioned to me and I am trying to get turgeon on the show. I've put in for both turge and a player. I'd like to have Bruno on the show. If they're going to give out players potentially this week. Um, we'll see how that plays out, uh, because they are busy preparing and then they've got travel, etc. But, um, I just think that, you know, Gary Williams has always said to me, you gotta be able to score in this tournament. You know, defense wins championships in a lot of sports. But in the tournament, to win six games, you've got to be able to score. And Maryland just hasn't been a team that scored very easily this year. And that's why I think they're limited uh, in terms of how far they can go. I mean, I'm dreaming about getting to D.C. because it would give them an advantage now these tickets are going to be outrageously expensive, with or without them in it, yeah. because Duke is there well, and Zion Williamson is there. Not just Duke.
2: You realize that the Virginia Sweet Six Tech State could be Virginia Tech. Michigan State has a big alumni base. Yep, like that. If no, it's, you're right. If it's Duke, Maryland, Michigan State, Virginia Tech, I think we're talking about in that building all-time uh, uh, secondary market prices
1: all-time secondary market prices yes. if, if, if For anything yeah i mean they're already going to be super steep because of what you've mentioned duke the possibility of virginia tech who's a four seed in the east michigan state um hell louisville's fan base if they were to get there they travel uh big time um but nothing will do it like if maryland is there um i mean when they had the big 10 tournament there is it two years ago now and maryland was yes. playing northwestern uh that was, I mean, you know, Maryland had a good season that year. It was a good season. It was Mellow's final year. Yes. You know, they had gone to the sweet 16 the year before and they were going back to the NCAA tournament regardless of what happened. But I remember sitting in that arena and I happened to have been next to the Wisconsin section. And I remember people saying, my God, why is Maryland so popular? This was before Maryland played Northwestern. The game before it was Indiana somebody. I forget who Indiana was playing. And the Maryland fans, you already during the course of that game, you heard the let's go, Maryland, you know, reverberating throughout right. the entire arena. And I remember the Wisconsin fans, and I, I said to one of the guys, he's like, uh, he was talking to his wife, why so many Maryland fans were in D.C.? Like, they had no concept that D.C. was right near Maryland. Right. Like, none. I'm like, well, the campus is about eight, nine miles away from here. This is, this is the home market right. for Maryland. He goes, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, that would be an incredible, it's an incredible opportunity for Maryland that came off that loss to to Nebraska, whose coach is under fire by the fan base in, in many ways yes. right now, whether he realizes it or not, we'll ask Naki about that. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere. I had this debate multiple times over the weekend with various people. I just don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think Maryland can buy him out. Part of me would answer that with We're in the Big Ten. We were supposed to have this just infusion of cash that was supposed to be, you know, Fort Knox cash. And we can't buy him out. I'm not advocating for that, by the way. Most of you know this. I've been critical of him, but I also like him personally. And I know that he is not a bad coach like many of you think he is. I think he's a good coach. You don't win as many games as, as he's won without being a good coach. I personally have not loved the way they played this year. But I'm sure he'd have good answers to it. Um, but the opportunity to turn the whole narrative of the program around. Over the next week and a half, to win two games in Jacksonville, to come home and potentially have a game against your former arch rival in D.C. would be amazing. Yeah. What are the chances of that happening? I would put it at one in five, 20, oh. 20%, 20% You think it's only 20%? Tops. Yeah, because I, I don't think, here's the problem with it. I think that they've got a chance to win two games. Okay. but I don't think that they would beat Michigan State. Oh, in Sweet oh, oh 20% game. to make it to the Elite Eight. Gotcha. Yeah, 20% okay. to make it to a game against Duke in the Elite gotcha. Eight.
2: Okay, yeah. In that case, absolutely.
1: Uh, one in five. Uh, in that. terms of making it to DC, I one still. And three. Yeah, I, I would put it at. Uh, uh, I think there's a. I think there's a thirty. Yeah, one in three shot that they can win two games this weekend. I, I like the way the draw played out. I think LSU is very good, but you know LSU part of their their lofty. Level um, this season is is based on some games that were super close that they were on the right side of you know they were on the right side of a very controversial win at Kentucky that should not have been a win Um, should have should have been a game that had went to overtime on a clear offensive goal goal goaltending call that was not reviewable. Um, they won a, a, a an unbelievable game against Tennessee, you know, pretty much at the buzzer, at Florida against the buzzer. Um, but since the Will Wade news came out, you know, they beat Vanderbilt. That's basically it. They lost to Florida uh, in the quarterfinals on Friday. Um, a good Florida team, a team that actually I would look at as a team that could do some damage uh, in, in the tournament. Um, but anyway, yeah, it, it's they got the kid Tremaine Waters. You remember, Georgetown fans remember, that he had committed, uh, Tremont, Tremont Waters had committed to Georgetown, then changed his mind when JT3 got uh, let go, and he, he's been playing very well at LSU, leads him in scoring, leads him in, in assists. Um, Naz Reed is is a load at 6'10", 240. They, they got a good team. They got a go- really good team. Is it a team that Maryland can't beat? No. If Maryland had been a seven seed, or had gotten a couple of these other six three Texas games, Tech. Texas Tech would have been a problem for them. Yes, I completely agree with that. I think I think Texas Tech would have been a problem for them, uh, and the other threes were. Houston. Yeah, Houston I think would have been a problem for them. Yes, I think they those, would have been. Those a problem. were the only
2: other two possibilities. Now, they...
1: Houston's a team that can struggle to score. Cincinnati, who beat him yesterday, a team that could struggle that struggles to score. But if they had been in twos, like in seven twos, they wouldn't have beaten Kentucky. They wouldn't have beaten North Carolina you know, they wouldn't, have beat, they wouldn't have matched them against Michigan or Michigan right. State. Although they could have matched them against Michigan State because they only played Michigan State once this right. year. Actually, Michigan State's second-round game could be against Minnesota. And right. by the way, I think it will be. That's one of the ten – I like – right now I can tell you – and I'm going to do a smell test on Thursday and on Friday, and then I'll do on Friday a smell test for Saturday, and then I'll tweet out my Sunday smell t- test picks. People – I, I'm I'm going to do that. Just I think I did it last year too on the radio show. But I can tell you right now that I like Minnesota to beat Louisville as a ten over a seven uh, in Des Moines on Thursday. That's the first game of Thursday, I believe. Uh, but anyway, Maryland's draw, like it. I mean, I don't know that you could have asked for anything better. You
2: you could not. I mean, look, if you, I I think I would have liked the other uh, first four game a little bit better, but that's really nitpicking. And and I oh, was oh, fully uh,
1: Arizona State or St. John's yeah. instead. Here's the problem with St. John's. They've got a great player that can almost beat you single-handedly. Yeah. Um I I don't feel the same way about Belmont or Temple. I've watched Temple a little bit more um because when they're on I'm a Dunfee fan, always have been. Both of those teams they are playing are very well either one of those yes. two teams is an exceptionally well-coached yes. team. And to your point, St. John's with Mullen, I would have I would have liked our 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 matchup. Egg- Bench to bench.
2: But I'm saying that's sheer nitpicking. The place 24 hours ago, I was with you. I thought if they're lucky, they win a game.
1: I didn't want Florida. That was the one I didn't want.
2: I I think there's a path now.
1: There's a path. Yes, there's a path. There's
2: hope. There is hope in (laughs) College Park right now.
1: I think think that's true. I mean, you know, I look at some of the – you know, we had wished for four seed. We were hoping no worse than a five. You know what? i don't I wouldn't have wanted Oregon right now if I'm Wisconsin as a twelve seed. Liberty's a capable team as a twelve seed you know Murray wouldn't have bothered me a lot of people I have not seen them play at all. A lot of people like New Mexico State. I actually think Maryland's eleven seeds, Belmont or Temple, are better than some of the twelves that they would have gotten matched up with yes, and you know what some, some of the fours a lot of people love u c Irvine mm-hmm. as a team that can beat Kansas State you know. This tournament always comes down to matchups, and you know they're neutral floor environments for the most part. And uh, and and when I say neutral floor environments, remember this: Um, the people that are in these crowds are always rooting for the underdog. All right, If, if if it's not their own team, so the higher seeded teams very often, if they're in a difficult game early, are then playing by the time you get to the second half. a a, a quasi road game because all of the other teams fans that are there if they are there are then rooting for the underdog Uh, i went to one of the all-time ncaa upsets i'll never forget it it was at cole field house it was the year that richmond is a 15 beat syracuse is a two and i was in that building for that game and the entire arena was rooting for richmond to pull the upset. And and that's what you get. Just like last year, poor Virginia had the entire arena rooting against them in the UMBC thing. Netting it out, I like Maryland's draw. Um, uh, If we're going to do it as percentage chances, I think they've got a much better than 50-50 chance. I'd call it a 75% chance to win their first game. It's certainly losable. As any game, they will play in is losable because they play these games that it, that, you know, allows a lesser talented team at times to sort of hang in there. Um, but I bet Maryland's defense in their Thursday game will, will be a a deciding factor. Um, and then I think they've got, you know, a 35% chance. I'll I'll make it slightly higher than one out of three, a 35% chance to win two games and advance to the sweet 16 in DC. And then beyond that, you know, it's a one in five chance that they could get to the Elite Eight um, by winning three games. Michigan State would be a very difficult matchup. You know, we've seen Michigan State, too, at times come up a little small in the tournament. As many Final Fours as Izzo's been to, it was just a few years ago, right, that Middle Tennessee State, wouldn't it, Middle Tennessee? Yeah. They took him out in the first round in a 215 game. They get Bradley, and then they get a familiar foe in Minnesota. You know, potentially in the second-round game, I think they would crush Louisville, personally, um, if they play them. Uh, Virginia, real quickly. um, Virginia has, I think, an easy way to get out of the first weekend. We thought that last year, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Gardner-Webb, I don't know anything about Gardner-Webb. No. Um, I think Ole Miss or Oklahoma are winnable games for them in the second round. I would look at that Sweet 16 as a possibility to face either Wisconsin or K-State. And I know a lot of people are on Oregon right now. Um, I I still like Wisconsin in that game. Um, but they played Wisconsin early in the season, I believe, yeah. in a very low-scoring game. Kansas State is also an exceptional defensive team. Remember, Kansas State with Bruce Weber, they were in the Elite Eight last year. Uh, they lost to Loyola Chicago after beating Kentucky in the Sweet 16. Um, K-State's a good defensive team. In fact, I want to say they are top five, top ten in Ken Palm's adjusted defense, uh, defensive defensive uh, efficiency numbers. Um, so, I, I see rugged, hard-nosed, physical, defensive, smart, well-coached teams as a matchup for Virginia in the Sweet 16 in Louisville. Um, they would eventually play potentially Tennessee in the Elite Eight. I'd like their chances against Tennessee. If it's Purdue or Cincinnati, a lot of people are starting to like Cincinnati because of how rugged and tough and defensively they defensive-minded they are. These are the teams that have really pushed Virginia around a little bit. Like when they've lost, they lost to Michigan State twice. Right. They blew the lead against Syracuse. Um, I I think that they would not have easy times with Wisconsin or K State in, in the Sweet 16, or a Purdue, Cincinnati, or Tennessee in the Elite Eight. I, I still think they're the favorite. I still think they should be sitting there in the Final Four. But if you're talking about did they get the best draw? I mean, would would it have been easier for them to have faced uh, a, a Virginia Tech um, a team they're familiar with, uh, an Auburn? I'll tell you what. They would have smoked Kansas in oh, a 1-4 yeah. Sweet 16 Without game question. if Kansas was the team they faced.
2: As long as it wasn't in Kansas City.
1: Right. Um, they just lost to Florida State, so at least they're not getting them. I think they would have smoked Marquette as a five-seed if they faced them. Anyway, I, I – Uh, Virginia should advance in this field you know there are a lot of in that south region Villanova can spread you out they've got you know championship pedigree with at least you know Phil Booth who's still on the team Pascal's still on the team right from the championship teams
2: Villanova makes it past the first round
1: and St. Mary's is one of those teams that's Mm -hmm. got great backcourt play really well coached with Randy Bennett they could pull it off uh, if you've listened to me over the years, you know what a big Matt Painter fan and Jeff Jones fan I am. They play each other in the first uh, round, Purdue and Old Dominion. Uh, that region's really interesting. I mean, Virginia's the favorite they should be People will pick Tennessee to beat Virginia because they love the way Tennessee you know beat Kentucky Saturday. and by the way, I don't uh, the way they lost to Auburn yesterday, I don't put any stock into that. They had an emotional win over Kentucky where they outscored them. What was it? 10, nothing to win that game or whatever it was yeah. at the end, 10 to, um, that was a great basketball game. I mentioned that, you know, uh, a little bit earlier, great basketball game. I, you know, I, I'm not typically, I don't pick chalk all the way. I think I had Virginia winning the tournament last year. And of course they were out in the first round, but I see some potential stumbling blocks, teams whose styles Will in some way mirror their own in Wisconsin and in K State, Purdue to a lesser degree, Cincinnati. Um, uh, Cincinnati struggles to score, but man, they defend and rebound. Tennessee's, uh, you know, not a, a, an up tempo team either. I don't know. Virginia slows down fast teams and usually wins. The teams that are grinded out teams and physical, rugged teams are the teams they typically can have a little bit more trouble with, like Florida State um, in the tournament. Although they've always owned Florida State, uh, Virginia Tech. Look, they're they're getting back Justin Robinson um, for this tournament, right? They are getting him back. They're I, supposed I, to yes. I, I think that's what I read. Yes, um, that's going to help. It's going to help their 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 ball handling, their shooting in particular, and they were. I love Buzz Williams. I heard something about Buzz Williams over the weekend, that he's not long for Virginia Tech.
2: Well, no. Texas. Everyone expects him to go to Texas A&M.
1: Yes. So you've heard this, too. I clearly just missed out on this. Yeah, this this has been a poorly kept secret for a few weeks now. There you go. Something that I just, for whatever reason, completely missed, and that he wants to go back to Texas, where he's from... He's a really good basketball coach. Personally, I don't know why you would leave the ACC for the Big Twelve. I don't, you know, but he's at a football first school. Yeah, it, Virginia and, and Tech Texas A are
2: very comparable programs.
1: Um, so yeah you're right except that virginia tech's in a much better basketball league
2: but that could be a pro or it can be a com. there there's a ceiling at virginia tech that doesn't necessarily exist at rick barnes has
1: made a living coaching at football first schools you know including tennessee and texas before um buzz williams was at a basketball only school in marquette before he got to virginia tech um but virginia tech you know they've got some really really good wins they beat duke at home Um, they pushed, you know, you've, they pushed UVA, uh, in the game that they had, uh, in Castle Coliseum. Uh, they early in the season, they had an inexplicable loss at the time at Penn state in the big 10 ACC matchup. And I remember thinking, wow, because I liked Penn state last year, but Penn state started slowly in the big 10. Um, they beat Purdue, however, uh, Virginia tech did early, uh, in the season by the way, you've just in talking about teams that aren't aren't in the field, and this is the way it is when you limit it to thirty six at larges, um, you know, I guarantee you right now, Penn State's one of the best sixty four teams in America. Like no one would, that's watched college basketball over the last month would would even remotely begin to argue that fact. It's not the way the tournament's designed, obviously.
2: They're, they might be one of the best teams, but they didn't right, play the best.
1: They didn't play the best during the season. Their resume isn't a tournament-worthy resume. But at the end of the year, that team was winning, and winning impressively with a great player in Lamar Stevens and, and their and their defensive player uh, as well, the defensive player of the year whose name escapes me real quickly. Is it Reeves? Uh, yeah, Reeves. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, but but they're not in the tournament. I, they didn't I, even make the NIT. I know. They didn't even make the NIT. So I, I, they, No, Penn State didn't make the NIT. Penn State did not so make So what? Did Nebraska make the NIT? Nebraska yes, must Nebraska's
2: have made it. Yes, Nebraska's
1: in the NIT. Indiana's in the NIT?
2: I believe so. I haven't looked at the full NIT th- bracket. All, and, I, all I know is Georgetown's in hosting a game at McDonough, which is kind of fun.
1: They've done that before.
2: Yeah, they have. I was, I was there the last time.
1: Um, Yeah, well, Penn State wasn't next in line in the Big Ten. Indiana and Nebraska were. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, all right. So, um, I uh, back to Virginia Tech and and the draw. I give them a chance to get to a Sweet 16 game against Duke. St. Louis just got in. You know, the only way they could get in by winning their conference tournament. Then they would have a Mississippi State or Liberty. A lot of people like Liberty. I haven't seen them play. Um, Mississippi State's okay. Uh, I can see Virginia Tech. You know, being fully healthy again, winning two games, and playing at Capital One Arena and a Sweet 16 game against Duke. I mean, and I see Virginia. I'd be surprised if they're not in a Sweet 16 game. They should be. They'll be a heavy favorite against Gardner Webb. What's that point spread? It's in the twenties, right? Yeah. Um, whatever it was against U- UMBC, it's probably similar against Gardner Webb. Um, they'll be, you know, they'll they'll potentially be a double digit favorite, no less than eight or nine against Ole Miss or Oklahoma. But I, I think a Sweet 16 game against K State or Wisconsin, I'm not as big high on Oregon as as people are. Dane Altman's fine. He's a good coach. Um, that that Pac-12 championship game against Washington was a horrible basketball game. Washington, who do they play in the first round? Is it Utah State that they have in an 8-9 game? I think that's what it is. Yeah, They stink. I mean, they are bad. They were the Pac-12 champion. It's a bad team. The only reason I stayed up and watched that game on Saturday night was because Bill Walton was calling it. I, I just yep, love Walton. Same here. Um, just Many of you can't stand Walton. I'm sorry about that. I can't help you. I love listening I, to the Walton. I understand.
2: Walton. If you don't like it, I get it. But he's so entertaining.
1: So entertaining for me. And, and his relationship with passion, in particular yes. is... Really, it's a it's a great broadcast in my view. Not everybody likes it. It's it's a matter of opinion.
2: Pash getting flustered is one of the best things yeah. in college basketball. broadcasting.
1: Um, U- Utah State, I, I can't see personally after watching Washington a couple of times here down the stretch. I can't see them beating anybody that they play in this tournament. They're a horrific basketball team that just happened to win a terrible power you know power five power six league. Um, I'd be surprised if they win. What's the point spread in that game? Is Utah State favored? Uh,
2: it's it's close. I I, I mean, they're the
1: eight seed. Washington, as a conference champion, regular season champion of the Pac-12, is a nine seed. All right. Arizona State's yep. in, uh, and then Oregon. You know, ironically, Oregon qualified Utah's without having
2: two, Utah's two. two and a half point favorite. Yeah.
1: Oregon, as a team that wasn't going to get into the field without winning that championship game, um, is actually uh, a twelve seed, but doesn't have to play a first four game. Whereas Arizona State is an 11 seed and has to play a first four game against St. John's. Uh, I do not see a run for any of the Pac-12 teams in this field. I would be aware of the Big 12 teams, and I think the Big 10 in general, and the Big 10 did get the most teams in. Um, they ended up getting um, eight in, and after that it was the ACC at seven without NC State, right? Who else? Uh, Big 12 and the ACC had seven? Yes. Uh, so the Big Ten ends up with the most teams in the league, uh, most teams in the tournament. But most people would say that the ACC, with three number one seeds, had the best chance of winning the, the title this year. Sure. But I just would not count the Big Ten out from having, of their eight, You know, four in the Sweet how, 16.
2: How about the SEC?
1: SEC's dangerous right now. I was
2: going to say, SEC, I could very easily see at least two to making the final
1: four. Uh well, clearly Kentucky, Kentucky and Tennessee, Tennessee have a really good chance and
2: Look, if LSU gets their stuff
1: together. LSU would not beat Michigan State in a Sweet 16 game, it would not beat Duke. Probably not. They're probably they're not. not Kentucky could beat both of those teams. Tennessee could even yeah. oh, Tennessee, beat both of those very teams. Reasonably. I don't, I don't see it with with LSU. Pro-
2: probably not, but look, they're they were a good team up until all this nonsense came out.
1: It's going to be, this tournament, my gut feel on the tournament, I've already mentioned, you know, you have a star player for the first time in a while that everybody will be paying attention to. And, you know, it's funny about Duke, who's often the most hated team and the most loved team, very polarizing team. My sense of it is, Aaron, I'm interested in your take, that people this year actually are rooting more for Duke than ever in the past because they just want to keep watching Zion play.
2: Look, I've said it before that... I remember there—it was that first Duke UVA game. I found myself rooting for Duke. Like, I was
1: rooting for Carolina Friday night, like not because of the anti-Duke thing, but because I—I've been very impressed with this North Carolina yeah. team.
2: The—the well, the fact is, Duke is an extremely fun team to watch. If their name was anything besides Duke, they'd be one of the—you know, everyone would be behind them. If they were any other team, if they were Wisconsin and play, obviously they wouldn't be Wisconsin. But you know what I'm saying is that the hatred for that team is solely because they're Duke. And for good reason. They don't have that hateable player they usually have. And on the contrary, they have a lot of likable players. So, yeah, I mean, look, the the tournament, the selection show was the highest rated in over five years. Uh, I think part of that is just because people are all in on
1: Duke. Yep. Yep. I think, I think that there's some truth to that. Um, it was the highest rated one in five years. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, you know, overall, you know, I've given a lot of sort of my high level thoughts on the field. Uh, I would just, in terms of, you know, which is the strongest region. The only thing I will say that I feel is that the West is perhaps the easiest But I wouldn't want to play Gonzaga or Michigan. Or Texas Tech. Or Texas Tech. And I think Florida's a sleeper out there. I think they're a dangerous team. Um, Personally, I haven't seen enough of Buffalo. Florida State is so talented, and they finally sort of busted through to get to the Elite Eight a year ago. But, man, as much as Leonard Hamilton can coach up defense and he recruits a certain kind of player, a long-armed, big, long, lean, shot-blocker, defender – they're dangerous. They're so talented, but I can see them getting beat early, um, as much as I could see them advancing to the elite eight. There's something about a Leonard Hamilton coach team that I think will just stop them from getting all the way to the final. Oh, well, four. that
2: you you have to assume until it you know happens otherwise. Yeah, um, I, I kind of have the same thing. But I, I think the West, I think the Midwest is going to be a crazy. I think that's going to like determine brackets.
1: Well. Who? Where are the big upsets? Like Houston. You, you, I like mean, look, Houston I, could get to the Final Four. They could.
2: I, I think. I think Houston, Iowa I State's think I, underrated. Yeah, Iowa State, Houston. I think that whole bottom part. Iowa State, Houston, Kentucky are that Sweet Sixteen game could go anyway.
1: There are some. Let, let, let's let's wait on that because I yes. want you to stick right. with that thought because there's some inc- there are some very good second round games shaping up. Certainly a Maryland LSU second round game on paper is a pretty good matchup for a second round game. Um you know if you were to get Michigan State Louisville, I think from a marquee program standpoint that looks right. I think Michigan State would destroy Louisville. I think their tougher game would be against Minnesota. Tennessee Cincinnati could be a very interesting second round game as you mentioned in Columbus. How about Purdue Nova as a potential second round game, uh, K state Wisconsin as a second round game would be outstanding. Um, I think, you know, some people are really talking up Utah state. I don't, I, nah. I can't, I can't speak to that. I, the way North Carolina is playing, I don't see them losing that early. Um, in Iowa state, Houston game would be outstanding in the second round. M- uh, Michigan, Florida would, that'd be a tough spot for Michigan. Uh, Texas Tech, Buffalo as a possibility. You know,
2: it'd be fun just to see. I don't Gonzaga, think it'd be a great Syracuse? game. Gonzaga, Syracuse, not necessarily. No, I was thinking Duke, uh, UCF with Taco Fall.
1: Yeah, you, well, he's seven foot six, yeah. seven foot seven, something like that. Um, yeah, and then your your Sweet Sixteen matchups could be major marquee matchups. Uh, you know, if if you have. First of all, if you if you've got an ACC matchup in Duke Virginia Tech, the possibility of, you know, uh UNC, a, a, Kansas, a, a in UNC Kansas, Kansas in in, K, in Kansas City exactly. Um the possibility of Kentucky Houston, that would be a very interesting Sweet 16. Michigan Texas Tech. Um Texas Tech last year Michigan beat Houston in that second round and ended up losing or beating Florida State in the Elite 8. Who'd Michigan beat in the Sweet 16? Was it Texas Tech? Actually, it's that funny sounds the way vaguely familiar. It's funny it's the way it's the way it's setting up for Michigan. Um uh, Michigan beat Florida State in the Elite 8. I'm almost positive about that a year ago. I think that's right. But anyway, the Elite 8 matchups, how about Carolina Kentucky? Duke, Michigan State.
2: Michigan beat Houston, and oh, they beat Texas A and M in the Sweet Sixteen oh, last year. Oh, A Houston. But, but then enough, Florida
1: State in the Elite Eight, right? You know,
2: uh, yes. Then Florida State in the Elite Eight. Uh, they played Montana in the first round last year too. Same first round game.
1: Really? Yeah. Michigan Montana for a second straight year. Yes. That's odd. Um. A couple of t- yeah, I mean the elite eight matchups could be phenomenal with Carolina, Kentucky, Michigan State, Duke, Virginia, Tennessee, and Gonzaga, Michigan. If they if they were to hold seeds, yeah. uh, there there are a few teams lurking there. I mentioned Minnesota; they've got pros on their team, and they're a physical team. Jordan Murphy and Amir Coffey. Like I I think. That Minnesota could do some damage. I think that they could beat Louisville. I, I, I in fact, I'll pick them to beat Louisville. And then the familiarity with Mich- Michigan State—they've been playing better here recently. Um, Minnesota has been. Um, that's a that, that's a team I'd keep an eye on. I think Saint Mary, the Saint Mary's Villanova winner. As much as I'm a Purdue fan, I think they'd have a shot at Purdue to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, I. Definitely believe in Houston. I also believe a little bit in Seton Hall right now. Um, They spread you out, man. They can score. Uh, The the two Big East games that I watched over the weekend: uh, the Seton Hall Marquette game, which was a three-hour, seventy-eight foul, three ejection, eight technical foul game. It was crazy. There was a fight in the game. That was a crazy game. And then the Seton Hall Villanova Big East final was a really good basketball game. You know what? That Big East tournament. Never been because I'm an ACC guy. Never had any desire to go. It produces every year, you know, in a much better environment sometimes than some of the others. Uh, I'm looking forward to this tournament. It's it, the, the expect the unexpected every year. That's so cliche, but it's going to happen. There are going to be major upsets here in the first round. Brackets are going to be spoiled on on the first afternoon on Thursday. Um, but at the end. I would be surprised if we don't get mostly heavyweights, um, we'll have our brackets, uh, done before the tournament starts, which is tomorrow. So we will go through our brackets tomorrow, uh, you know, pick by pick, but that's basically it yeah. on the tournament. Did I miss anything?
2: Nothing, uh, nothing that we can't cover tomorrow.
1: All right. Uh, yeah, we'll have plenty of time to do it tomorrow. Um. Real quick word about Window Nation. Uh, Harley and Aaron and Eric listen all the time. Uh, they will be, I guarantee you, uh, involved in in pools, in brackets, in filling out brackets. They're huge sports fans. Uh, and uh, I guarantee you Harley will be rooting for Ohio State. That's the one team out of the Big Ten that I can't see winning a game personally. I just don't think much of Ohio State right now. Uh, but they're huge uh, Ohio State football fans, basketball fans uh, in particular. Um, but give window nation a shot. Look, the, the easy thing about window nation right now is that they've got a great deal buy two, get two free with no limit. Um, you purchase a house full of windows for $69 a month. But here's why I would urge you to just not even call anybody else. If you've been thinking about windows first is that I've used them and several of my friends have used them and we've had great experiences with window nation. But second They're going to give you a free in-home estimate. There's no risk. So if you've been thinking about having windows replaced, if you think you've got old drafty windows and you're losing money, through higher energy bills. Give Window Nation a call at 866-90-NATION or go to windowNation.com. They'll come out. They'll give you a free in-home estimate. And that in-home estimate that they leave you with is good. It's valid for 60 days. So you've got two months to make up your mind. So if you've been thinking about Windows, understand that right now is the uh, the, the time to buy. Uh, Get two uh, free for every two you buy. No limit. So you can buy 20 Windows. You get 20 free. Uh, the windows could cost you as little as $69 a month uh, if you get a house full of windows installed. Um, you don't have to put anything down with no payments and no interest for 12 months as well. 866-90NATION, windowNation.com. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's bring in Naki, um, who will be on the call uh, for the Maryland Basketball Network. And I think you can hear that game on 980 on Thursday, uh, 310 projected start time against the winner of the uh, Belmont Temple game in the uh, first round. Uh, We're back to calling that, I believe, the first round. Remember, there was a couple of years there where it was first round, then second round, and then they got to the first four and then we got to the first round, which I like better um, because I think that's how people sort of describe it. Thursday and Friday. Uh, do you like their draw?
3: Well, I mean, I I don't think there's any question that they got a big break. I mean, uh, first of all, I thought there was some speculation. I could be wrong because I'm not in the committee, but yeah, you know, I was reading in some places they could have been a seven, a yep. uh, seven seed, which means you know, you first of all, you're conceptually. You're playing a you know a higher seed obviously in that first round, but then the other thing is you're playing against a two seed, um, you know in the in the second round, and your two seeds are you know North Carolina, Tennessee. I mean those are those are difficult matchups for you. So uh, it's a big difference playing a three. Um, it's also um, I you know you're playing a, a team that just had to survive a play-in game. You know, they were barely 48 hours before playing you on Thursday afternoon, so there's a lot to like about, you know, about the bracket.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, my biggest concern, and I mentioned this in the open, um, was if they had dropped to the 7, and I thought it was even a possibility as a six eleven. the team that I watched here recently that I did not want them to play was Florida. I thought Florida would have been a horrible matchup for them. And even Seton Hall, they had already lost to him once, but I think this is even a better Seton Hall team now um, than they had faced you know, back in December when they lost to him at home after that long layoff. Um, those were the teams I didn't want to see. Um, but in Belmont or Temple, first of all, don't... I'm a massive fan of Fran Dunphy. I've always been a fan of him. I love the players he recruits, those tough, you know, boxy Philadelphia wings and guards, the way they play. Um are you a fan of his? Well, he and I coached
3: together for, oh, that's for right. se- several years, and he is he is one of the best guys that I know. Period. Um he's beyond that. I mean, he's he's a very good basketball coach. Uh he's a He's just a tremendous human being and a, and a guy that's uh, very, very easy to root for. I kind of hate to see them on our side of things because, uh, uh, you know, you, you kind of hate to play games like that against your friends.
1: What, what may, Well, f- first of all, they're an underdog. Belmont's actually a, a three-and-a-half-point favorite in that game on, on Tuesday night, tomorrow night. Um, they're an underdog. But real quickly, just on Dunphy, what makes him so good in your opinion?
3: Um, I, particularly good, I think, on the offensive side of things. He's just got a really good grasp. You know, he was a great college player back in the day uh, at LaSalle in the late 60s. Uh, and I think he graduated from LaSalle in 1970. But he's just a, he's got a really good grasp of the game. He's very even-tempered as well. Um, I can't remember the last time I saw him get a technical foul. Um, I've seen him go off the practice certainly enough times. But uh, he's just very Cool, calm, and collected guy, and um, and his teams kind of play that way. They're
1: pretty steady. Was he your assistant after Gary? Like uh, he was your assistant, right? He was. Dumpf was
3: Gary Williams' assistant with Eddie Tapscott, and then and then and then uh, Gary left. Tap got the job. Duff moved up to be the number one guy, and uh, and I came on board then. So I coached with Tap and Duff got it. Fran I was on staff there for 2 or 3 years before Fran went back to Philadelphia.
1: Forgive me for not knowing the details of your esteemed coaching career. <laughs> Stop <it>. Stop. <laughs> but you know what I, I i've thought i i always whenever temple's in the tournament with him coaching it and it was the same with when he was at penn you know i always looked at them thinking you know what he he can beat somebody that's got more talent and he's retiring by the way this is a his his swan song um uh, this final uh tournament. don't don't bet on that yo really you think he'll miss it too much and come back I don't think he's
3: going to, I don't, I mean, I think that, uh, I think I heard that somebody told me that he's, uh, that his name has been linked to GW. Wow.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Um, So
3: I'm giving you a newsflash. Yeah. There you go. Uh,
1: uh, All right, let's talk about Maryland in more detail. What's been different here recently is they have struggled down the stretch, you know, losing to Penn State, losing that, that emotional game against Michigan at home, and then really going out in a whimper against Nebraska in the uh, first round of the of, of the Big Ten tournament. Well,
3: I mean, you also have to throw the the, the trouncing of Minnesota in there. That happened all in that yep. stretch, too. So, um, you know, I, I just think that, it, and I think that the book has been written a little bit on this team in the sense that they, their fortunes to a large degree are tied uh, to the point guard, you know, to Anthony, Anthony Cowan. And and when he's playing well, they're, they're a problem. And when he's not, um, just puts a lot of pressure on the other guys. Um, you know, I think guy, a guy like Eric Ayala is a really, really good role player, good support guy, you know. But he's not one of those guys, not like Anthony, who can get you 23 or 24 in a game, Um I, I think that's a part of it. I think they've they've lost a little bit of intensity. And the other thing is Kevin they're we've talked about this ad nauseum. they just the 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 problems on the offensive end are just maddening um between the turnovers between and then you talk about the uh the lapses where they just go three four minutes without uh putting a point on the board. you just you're not <laughs> you're not gonna win games like that against really good teams. I'm almost of a mind here where I'd like to see him play a Belmont or somebody like that who gets up and down and runs and and, and you know, I'd like to see a game where we get out in open court and play an open court game for a little bit. Uh um, but that's just me. I'm tired of these grinded out things. The Big Ten has just kind of kind of uh Uh, bored me to death I think is is part of it
1: you know we we have had these conversations all season long it's been a point of frustration for you know you and me and and a lot of other Maryland fans but you know I always think about it from the other side and I know you do too Um, you know if if, and you get a chance to talk to him I'm I'm actually trying to get Turge on the show this week hopefully it'll happen Um, but I you know I think about what his answers would be to a simple basic question why, why don't you prefer a higher possession game to a lower possession game with the talent advantage that you have in a lot of the games and and the, the one answer that i always come come back to is he would look at me and say have you seen the teams we're playing how good they are defensively how well they get back in in our league you have to be able to execute in the half court and that's that's sort of our league, and part of that wouldn't be wrong. They've been a very good rebounding team, but they don't turn people over a lot, which gives you transition opportunities. But I, I it's maddening. I, I the, the 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 crawling it up um, on I don't know seventy five percent of their possessions, not really initiating offense until there are nineteen seconds left on the shot clock. Uh, it, it to me it's it's a recipe for a lesser team having a chance. And I and by the way, Nebraska's not that much of a lesser team. No Nebraska's got some talent and, and they're pretty good and all of the big ten games were grinds. And all of all of those teams were capable, but that that's one of the answers I always come up with. What are the answers he gives you?
3: Well, first of all, Nebraska has three big time players that all play yes. at a really high level in that game. Yeah, so the other thing about that particular game is is, you know, we were talking on air about, you know, how can Nebraska possibly win this game? And and my my comment on the air before the game was, well, first of all, two or three guys have to play well. The other thing is, is that when they get a rebound, they're just going to take the air out of the ball. They're going to walk it over half court, which is exactly what they did. They limited the number of possessions in the game. And common sense and and easy math, simple math tells you that, the more possessions there are in a game, the more talent will win out that 's right you know just o- over time, so they did a hell of a job um, now in terms of i, I think turge one of the one of the reasons why and i've i've never asked him that question point blank, but I think one of the things that he would point to is the fact that um, <laughs> the, more, the more possessions they have, the more they 're going to turn it over um, I think he's very sensitive to that old thing and uh, sensitive to the, to the point, Kevin, where he hates to even discuss the turnovers. He hates to even talk about it because uh, they do work on it all the time. You know, they're like, it's something he stresses in practice. There's a penalty for a turnover. You know, you got to run if you, if you do certain things. And so I, I, you know, I don't know, but I just don't think if you look, if you look in Mark's past, He's never had really high
1: scoring. teams. Nope.
3: This is not an. This is not an anomaly. Uh, this is a. This is much more the rule than it is the exception. What we're seeing.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, a lot of those Texas A and M teams were good defensive, hard nosed defensive teams that 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 didn't yeah. score a, a, a lot of points. Um. All right, Bruno Fernando, uh, who had four shot attempts in that game against Nebraska. The easy answer to why he didn't shoot more is that he got doubled, you know, consistently, and they did not handle the double team well in that game against Nebraska. The, my frustration with with Bruno is I don't know why he doesn't or isn't given the green light to on on the when they initiate the offense through Bruno at the elbow. Um, Often he doesn't even turn around and face the basket, but what, he's he. they don't guard him there. Why isn't that an option for him to turn, face, he's got a great stroke, and knock down 12- to 15-foot jumpers to make him come out and guard him? Well, I
3: think it is an option. I think he chooses not to shoot it for whatever reason, which is strange to me because, uh, you know, Jalen Smith doesn't hesitate to shoot no. it when, he's, when he turns and faces it. And uh, so, uh, yeah... I think there are a multitude of ways to get shots. And I, you know, you credit Nebraska to a degree, but some of these were self-inflicted wounds. That's easily the worst game Bruno's played all year long, uh, by far. He kind of reverted to 2018 a little bit. And um, so, you know, hopefully he's back. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he they also kept it. I don't think he had an offensive rebound in that game, Kevin.
1: No, he didn't. Not one. He not, not one offensive did, rebound.
3: Also, there was no. There wasn't a back tap. There wasn't a. You know, so it wasn't like. I mean, just there was no presence there, and we're so used to the presence. There, there was one play where, you know, he went up and, and Roby tried to dunk on him, and there was there was like one play that I thought was the 2019 Bruno, but the rest of it was, you know, was just, um you know, it was terrible. So. When you get at one point in the first half from Anthony and you get Bruno playing like that where he's just not a factor at all, uh, it's just, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. Those are two guys who are going to have to be primary guys for you.
1: Is it possible that getting out of this 20-game stretch or 21 games, if you include the first uh, tournament game, um, against teams that really know you well, scout you well, um, good defensive teams in the league. Uh, keep in mind, too, and I mentioned this on Friday, Nebraska had given up 90 or more points in three of their six games coming in, 80-plus in, in a fourth, and Maryland had 20 at halftime. That, 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 that's hard to swallow um, as a fan of the team. But um, is it possible that they get out of this you know, three-month grinded out uh, and it gets easier for them on Thursday? I guess it's possible, you know.
3: Um, uh, Clearly, whoever they play will have had one day to prepare for them, you know, um, that Wednesday. So, uh, I I guess it's possible, but but again, so many of their wounds are on the offense end, especially, are self-inflicted, you know. And uh, uh, whether it's turnovers, guys just missing missing shots, you know. Uh, You also wonder. You know, which version of some of these guys you can have. It, it, I, well, I, you probably know this stat better than I do, but I think Maryland is undefeated when Jalen Smith scores over 15 points in a yes, game. Yes,
1: I, I don't know if it's undefeated, but I mentioned the other day for all the Maryland fans that are bitching about how soft Sticks is, they've played their best basketball this year when he's played well. Yeah,
3: I think that I do believe they're undefeated when he's got when he's over fifteen points. So, uh, a question was put to me this morning. Well, why would you let that guy shoot three pointers? He's you know shooting twenty seven percent from the from the three point line. But the issue is is that he's as likely to go four for six as he is to go over
1: six. Agreed. You know, totally so, agree.
3: So you have to. You can't just tell a guy, you know, put it in your pocket. That's <laughs> just not the way that that's not the way you you coach. That's not the way you play the game. So uh he's got to be a part of the part of the process himself,
1: you know well, it's like it's like when you know you watch Wisconsin play in the and the big guy um seavers right uh that can really stroke it from deep uh yeah, he's the big guy that can stroke it i mean if, if if he he watches stroke, you know watch sticks stroke, it's a good solid stroke if he's open and the defense isn't coming out to to guard him. If he knocks down one or two of those it it's just like if Bruno were to knock down a couple of those elbow jumpers it just makes your offense much easier to run. You can't turn down those shots, especially for well, this team that tends to struggle to get anything good when when the shot clock is is running out. The Wisconsin guy by the way is Revers. Reavers, Reavers, but, Reavers um, right Revers my <laughs> fault. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But 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 to your point if Sticks hits the first couple of threes, then it means that his guy can't sit back in Bruno's lap. Right, And, you know, in most cases, Wisconsin was running a double um, from either More man or, or Sticks' man down on Bruno. So it's just one less guy uh, who can who can uh, create traffic for Bruno. So I, I, I agree with that. I mean, you got to let the kid shoot
1: and see what he's got and uh, and go from there. On the double, on Bruno, you're, you are a coach. I mean, most people know that. Naki was a college basketball coach. She's been the Maryland analyst for I don't know. Seems like fifty-five years at, at this point with Johnny 20. Oh, 20. 20. But um, you replaced Greg Manning, right? That's twenty years yep. ago. It actually, honestly, it seems yep. like it's it's even longer than that. Um,
3: yeah, it does to me too.
1: <laughs> I know, but um, I you know, there there have been times where they've handled it well. On that double, though, wouldn't you like to see more of a quicker reaction or a step-through versus the going backwards?
3: Yeah, and so I thought Bruno has come a long way in terms of his ability to handle it. I'd like to see a couple different things. First of all, uh, you you don't want to see anybody standing still, um, for sure, you know, Uh, but you you look cross court because that's who that's where the uh, somebody's going to be telling up at the three point line you should have two guys on the other side of the court but like a guy like morcel you know i like to see morcel if like if he enters the ball he should make a basket cut a, a rim run right away yep. you know um you might be able to get something cheap right there and his man you do it one time and now all of a sudden his man is going to have his have his head on a swivel the whole time I think Bruno's done a pretty good job. I, I don't know. I, I can't even explain the failure to handle the double team against Nebraska. You know, I mean, a lot of times it was, there were triple teams, but he just didn't handle it well at all. He panicked. Um, he, he just made poor choices, and uh, there were no ball fakes either. And, um, you know, there's nobody strong enough to rip the ball out of his hands. He doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, he, he had guys in the right places. He just uh, he didn't handle the double very well
1: all right, um last thing uh, which may be um a conversation here. you know the fan base uh you know how passionate it is, and sometimes how delusional it can be. Do you think that turge feels any of the heat right now or even knows it's there
3: uh, oh absolutely absolutely and i I you know um you know. <sighs> I, at one point, just jokingly, I said to him, "I forget where we were. We were on the road, and I said, uh, you should be thankful for, you should be thankful for Indiana.'" And he looked at me, said, well, "What do you, what do you mean?" And I said, "Well, if it weren't for Indiana, we would have the most delusional fan base in the, in the conference." And uh, he kind of chuckled at that, and he said, "You know, I mean, I think Kevin, I think he completely gets it. I think he understands it. I think it's one of the reasons why he took the job." is because there are these expectations um now the reason you take the job and you appreciate the history and all that is one thing you know dealing with heat is is quite another obviously so i think he's well aware of it um i think it's hard to escape it um but i think he's doing his best to kind of keep his head down and and you know get this team better because i mean there's still there's still a lot on the table you're a sixth seed in the ncaa tournament you you have a chance to 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 have a pretty significant weekend ahead
1: for sure. Well, I mean, we all know, and we all looked at the bracket, and we know what is in play here. He could completely take all of this heat. And turn it into you know blind love if he wins two games, gets to DC, and has an elite eight game against Duke. Um, it's amazing what what two weeks could actually do to the whole perception of him by a fan base. Really, it, it, it rarely does an opportunity present itself like the one that he and this program have based on the way that the draw played out.
3: I swear, and I, I, I can never, and I will never claim objectivity, but, but, but in my heart of hearts, I feel like if there's any justice at all, then these things happen, because uh, it, it, I, I really like the guy, and I hope it happens, it happens for him.
1: Yeah, uh, I do too. I like him as well. Um, all right, uh, Thursday, 3:10, Jacksonville. Um, I think you know. A couple of weeks ago, we hoped for a four seed and maybe Hartford or something like that. But who cares? Hartford, Jacksonville, really doesn't make a difference. Uh, actually, I want to say that the last time—I could be wrong—and I didn't even look this up—they were in Jacksonville. I think with Steve Francis's team. I want to say that they played. Could in have one... been
3: that was the that was the year before I started doing this. Okay, so it could have could have been.
1: Ha, sure. Have you been to Jackson? Have they been to, back to Jacksonville since? Now I don't believe we have. You know, we played in
3: Gainesville against Florida when they were number one. Right, that was a game that Travis Garrison won
1: with a jump shot. Yeah, with a shot. jump that shot, that would
3: have been like 2004, maybe.
1: Yeah, Canner um, Medley had a good game. That was that was in no uh, that was like a November game, right?
3: Yeah, Gilchrist fouled out, and DJ Strawberry played some point guard in that game, yeah. if I
1: remember correctly. Uh, great, it was
3: a great win. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we've been to Jacksonville uh, since I've been doing this.
1: Okay, uh, I may be wrong too about the Francis team. Uh, anyway, all right, uh, enjoy it. I'll I'll talk to you later in the week. I'm sure. All right, Kevin. All right, see. You. Here it is. I found it. They actually played not in Jacksonville in '99. They played in Orlando in '99. Uh, that was the Steve Francis team. They beat um, they beat Valpo as a two seed. They beat the 15 seed, and then they beat Creighton in the second round and that put him into the sweet 16 in Knoxville, Tennessee when they lost uh where they lost to St. John's. That was that was a painful. Gary had a lot of sweet 16 losses. He lost to Michigan uh, in 94, lost to Yukon in 95, lost to Arizona in 97, lost to St. John's in 99. Um, Also had a a Michigan State loss in there somewhere along the way uh, in the Sweet 16 that I'm forgetting. But that St. John's loss with the Steve Steve Francis team was the most painful for Maryland fans. And just so people don't forget, when they lost to St. John's in the Sweet 16, there were a lot of people that didn't think that Gary Williams would ever get it done at Maryland. He had just been to his fourth Sweet 16 in six years, and people were irate. The fan base was irate. I remember that people were like, if you couldn't get Steve Francis to the Final Four, or even to the Elite Eight. And the next year, without Francis, they got blown out in a second-round game by UCLA. Uh, I think that was the next year. I can't Yeah, that was the next year. And then 2001, they went to the Final Four. Um, by the way, 2001, a, se- uh, a season that in the regular season they lost a home game to Florida State and people were calling for Gary's head that year. Um, anyway, uh, real quickly, Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. If you're considering something new and you're considering a Chrysler or Dodge Jeep or a Subaru, by the way, they they have a Subaru dealership at Farish as well. Um, please consider Farish, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, in Fairfax. First of all, you can go to their website, FarishCars.com, to see their live inventory and best deals right now. If you head out to Farish, they're located right there in the heart of Fairfax and Fairfax Circle. Ralph Perkins uh, runs the store. Kevin Farish is a good friend of mine. I've known both of those guys now for I've known both of those guys now for about 12 years. They're smart. They know what their customers want. They make it easy for you. I promise you that if you give them a chance, they will not disappoint. Right now, best rebates of the year, especially on the Jeep Cherokee, the Grand Cherokee, and the Wrangler. Uh, They've got all three of those. Plenty of make, model, color on the lot. You'll be able to find what you want and drive it home. Uh, Really good deals right now on the Ram pickup as well so if you like this show and you're thinking about buying something new i give you my word that you'll be taken care of if you head out to farish and fairfax please ask for ralph perkins and check out farishcars.com live inventory live pricing and their best deals all right let's bring in jp finley nbc sports washington and of course you can listen to his redskins talk podcast as well um I want to take sort of all of these things in chronological order since my show, anyway, ended on Friday. Um, Well, I'll start with Dominic Rogers Cromarty. I'm not, I've spoken a little bit about it. Uh, This is, to me, you know, you're taking a guy out of retirement, essentially. He may fill a role, he may not. There'll be no pain in cutting him if it doesn't work out. Some fans are going nuts about this deal. I'm more wait and see. Where are you? Same place.
0: I, I don't think it's something to be excited about or upset about. It's a move for veteran help in the secondary, and they can just cut him if they need to. Or, I mean, he could even retire again. Who knows what will happen? But there's really no downside. I haven't seen the contract, but I'm guessing it's going to be veteran minimum with some incentives. And uh, he, he has the versatility to play in the slot. Maybe he can help you in dime packages as an extra safety on the field. Not it, it's it's lukewarm. There's there's nothing to feel dramatic about one way or the other.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, they they who if if they didn't sign DRC on Friday, who would have been the leading candidate to be their slot corner?
0: I mean, Moreau did it last year, right? Right. Assuming Dunbar comes back healthy, I, I think you you'd maybe look at that. Unless you know one of the really young guys, Stroman or Johnson develops and those guys all played on the outside i think a really big key for that defense beyond what happens with Ruben foster is can quentin dunbar play because they need him the, the, the team is way better when he's on the field
1: yeah that's what i was going to ask you is that, that, that that's one of those injuries that you're sort of unsure about because of the weird nature of it but are you hearing that he'll be healthy and ready to go at the beginning of the season or by training camp
0: i haven't heard much one way or the other um, which I guess would be good, but, you know, usually guys that are injured are able to stick around and, and work out in Ashburn. And I, I think Quentin is down in Miami for the off season, which is where he's from. So, you know, last year I went down to Miami and and, he, and did some like workout story videos with uh, Swearinger and, and Dunbar took part in those. And he works out at a uh, a really famous gym down there where uh Dwayne Wade and LeBron and a ton of just athletes go. So I, I assume he'd be working out there again this this summer or this winter.
1: Alright, um, getting back to sort of some of the news that trickled out over the weekend, or supposed news that trickled out over the weekend, um, we get to Saturday. Aaron first mentioned it to me on Friday about Diggs, and I said, how could that happen? It made no sense to me, and and I, I was sitting there, like two of my three sons are texting me early Saturday, morning, Dad, have you seen Trayvon Diggs, what he's what he's sent out? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but there there's nothing, it doesn't make any sense, but uh, the fan base, uh, you know, I don't want to call it gullible because, for, uh, listen, I was questioning my better judgment there for an hour or so. Like, maybe this could happen. I I mean, who are we going to give up? Trent Williams? I mean, would they give up a first-round pick? Maybe we're offering them something so incredible that they can't turn it down. Um, but, boy, that, that thing took off and had a life of its own for a few hours on Saturday until Schefter completely squashed it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Schefter certainly squashed it, but and I agree that from the Viking standpoint, it makes very little sense, and what do the Redskins have to offer is a very valid point, but after the Beckham trade and after how many times the Giants said we're not trading him, we didn't just sign him to trade him, all that, I think his brother posted that. You know what I mean? That wasn't just some random fan account. It was his brother posting that picture. I, I think – I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I think to to say that it's completely... I, I would say it's a, a 3% possibility, something like that. <laughs> <I>
1: mean, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> hysterical. By the way, real quickly, I want to give you some credit for it too, because if not for your report... On Thursday or Friday, I forget when you tweeted it out that the Redskins, you know, potentially um, they're they're they're. I'm paraphrasing sure. now. They're looking at a wide receiver, and that wide receiver could come, you know, via trade. I think a lot of that played into the reaction as well. Yeah,
0: I think it did. It, but Kevin, here's what we know, and, and and I mean, Skins Twitter had a hell of a weekend. Let's be honest, because the the assumptions that come from a, a from my tweet like that are just crazy and I, I've been told very clearly that nobody expects AJ Green to go anywhere but Cincinnati and I've been saying that and I want everybody on your podcast to hear me saying that because the amount of AJ Green questions I got was, was right. crazy the the dig the stuff his brother posting that to social media is a little weird right like it, it, it's his brother I, I just found that one a little odd but you know the Vikes just got a deal done with him, and and you think they did that for a reason. I, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, you can start pulling threads and be like, oh well, this and this and this. But it, it all seems a little premature. But I mean, we also know that the Skins were in on the Antonio Brown trade, so they're they're sniffing around. They know they have got to get better at receiver. Jay Gruden and Doug Williams have said that they said it at the combine. Bruce Allen has been clear that they need more blue chip players. They need more great players right now. They don't really have many. So, you know, the digs thing on the surface level makes absolutely no sense.
1: Made no sense to me, but let me just follow up on what you were saying about AJ green, because you did put out that tweet on Friday, and it sounds to me like when people started reacting with AJ Green, you do not think that that is a possibility. But you did put a three percent possibility on Stephon Diggs when you tweeted that out. Were you thinking Diggs? No, and I'm still not thinking Diggs.
0: I, I just know that they
1: want to make
0: moves at receiver and are considering trade offers. But that, I mean, that doesn't mean that it's going to be Diggs or Green or or. or Jerry Rice coming out of retirement. You know what I mean? It just they know they have to get better at the position, and they're looking at what they can find. That's what I've
1: been told. All right, um, let's move to the next thing. Uh, the uh, reports about the Reds. Uh, Sk- l-
0: l- let me ask you, Ken. I'm sorry. Yeah. Would you go to zero percent on digs? I mean, three percent is overwhelmingly saying that I don't think it's going to
1: happen. When Aaron brought it up to me on Friday, I was at 0%. When my kids texted me on Saturday, because initially I thought that they were reading some sort of report of it, I guess I went to like 5%, but then I, I started thinking, and then I saw the Trayvon Diggs thing because my, my, my boy sent it to me, and then I went back to 2%. And part of it is just, uh, without going into great detail, just a, a, a general sense from you know, some of the high school football people in town about Trayvon Diggs in particular. I won't go any further on that, but I'll just say that I I just didn't, I started thinking about the contract, Minnesota, what he brings to them, um, what the Redskins would have to give up. Uh, He's a totally different player than OBJ, not as gifted clearly, but also not the headache. Um, that OBJ is. And, and the Giants are in a completely different position than Minnesota is in with respect totally. to, to trying to but compete. But the
0: Vikings have no money on the cap. I mean, they're in worse cap situations. Yeah. Skin. And they want to get Thielen done. Thielen's a hometown guy, I believe, in the last year of his deal, which is probably paying him peanuts as far as the NFL goes. So he's an undrafted guy. So they do have... If you want to pull threads, there are some situations that that make you wonder. But again, I'm at I'm at 97 percent. It won't happen. I feel I, like that. I sounds, think I, that sounds more.
1: I think I'm at accurate. zero. Part of that is is Schefter's report. I think I may have been at one or sure. two percent before that report. But I did tweet out on Saturday. I tweeted out this makes no sense to me at all, and I just can't imagine that it would happen. Um, but but you know the one possibility, and I think I tweeted this out as well. Maybe it was a response to somebody. Look, the Vikings are in dire need of offensive linemen. That offensive line, that line and the giant line were the two worst in the NFL last year. Um, it was a disaster for them. Plus, they lost tragically their offensive line coach. I'm sorry.
0: I think they lost I, I, the, the coach. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah, to Tony They Just lose their center. Uh, they, I think their center just left to go to New Orleans
1: too. Uh, well, there you go. I did not know that. I mean, I saw that Unger retired unexpected uh, unexpectedly, but they lost Tony Sperano before the year. Anyway, I was thinking. I mean, a blockbuster trade could be Trent Williams for Stefan Diggs, you know. And I don't, I don't know if the Redskins would have to throw in a pick because of Williams being a little bit older, or you know. But anyway, um, let's go to the next thing. R- right now, what's I, I. I mentioned to you. I know you and I have talked about this on the podcast. I believe that I expected a really active year because I just didn't think Dan Snyder was going to sit back and take EJ Biggers and Pern- Pernell McPhee this off season. And i i think I think Landon Collins, you know, is a. I think Dan's involvement, you know, pushed and influenced a, a big signing. I think going after Antonio Brown and being a player in that. I heard that they were very interested in Golden Tate. Um, uh, but the tape pick New York, uh, instead, um, they were in on CJ Mosley. So the, the activity in the early part of free agency, the intention was to be a major player, uh, but they haven't landed anybody other than the player who grew up dreaming of playing for the franchise and then re-signing a 34 year old running back. Um, I, I have this sense JP, and I want your sense that. It's what we all feel intuitively, and that is the organization's gotten to a point where unless it's a necessity, it's nowhere near anybody's top-of-list destinations.
0: Um, Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. I think the one thing to keep in mind, and, and agents and players will tell you this, I bet 95% of free agent decisions are based on money and where, where the highest bidder is. I don't think you see veterans that will kind of chase Super Bowls late in their career. But, um, you know, unless somebody really loves a certain situation or or their families from a location, most of these decisions just get made based on money. And, And the Redskins don't have a ton of it under the salary cap. Um, and as, as much as Landon Collins, I think, is kind of the outlier of really wanting to play here, they also paid him a boatload of cash, you know? And um, I, I think, honestly, the C.J. Mosley deal, I, I'm not sure I would have gone that high for an inside linebacker. So maybe Le'Veon Bell, but I, I don't know that their combination I, – I, I agree with you with the principle that the Skins – one of the most interesting conversations is talking to national reporters about about kind of where the Skins rank in their realm of reporting. And unless it is something crazy, which which tends to happen here, the day-to-day of like, oh, the Redskins are getting ready to, to, to take on the Eagles doesn't move the needle nationally, eh? whereas that always used to be the case. That, that would always be a big deal. And I think you see it. More and more with the ratings and and the attendance issues and and all that. So, combine all that with where free agents are looking to go. That doesn't surprise me.
1: It's almost like right now we've got this combination of you know Dan trying to you know assert some influence, maybe more than in recent years, with the signing of Landon Collins, the attempt to get in on Antonio Brown, C.J. Mosley, etc. And the pushback from Bruce saying, I, I, you know, really Eric Flowers and um, you know, Case Keenum for three and a half million bucks is really the way to go. It's it's an interesting off season so far. And then there was this report this morning um, from the from the uh, from the junkies at one oh six seven, Eric Bickle, EB, reporting that the Redskins have not consulted head coach Jay Gruden on any of their offseason moves and he cites a source saying quote I'm told he heard about the or he this is EB's quote from the Junkies quote I'm told he heard about the Landon Collins signing through the media closed quote what do you what do you think
0: um there's a lot to unpack there right it, it sounds it sounds damning but that, rewind a year and we know that Jay and Doug Williams weren't involved in the Alex Smith trade. They were part of the process of laying out the Redskins' options at quarterback, knowing that the Kirk, knowing that Kirk wasn't going to sign. But you know, it's very public that Bruce made that trade and then let everybody know about it after. Um, it's all, Doug Williams said the other day at Redskins Park after the Landon Collins press conference that the coaching staff and the talent evaluation side are held. It's kind of two separate bodies, and and yeah. one doesn't have much influence on the other. I I, I, pl- I I played that, that
1: I played that soundbite on Friday, and and put that side by side with what Jay Gruden said in that season-ending press conference about the coaching staff and personnel need to be more on the same page. Clearly, it is not. Yeah,
0: that, and and we've kind of been hearing. I mean, they started saying that midway through the year last year on, on, on some things. I think particularly as the DJ Swearinger situation progressively got worse over the course of the year, kind of what he was saying about the staff and and, and the comments got further and further, you know, outlandish, I guess. Um, but I, I think you can argue whether or not it's the right situation, if, if it's the right way to handle it, and I, I don't think it is. But I don't think it should be that big of a surprise if you've been listening and really paying attention to what they've said. And, and especially if you remember when Gruden got his contract extension, a lot of the, the talk was and, – and this kind of went hand in hand for as the team lost Scott McLuhan was, you know, we're really lucky to have Jay. He's so good at talent evaluation. We really trust him as a scout, even beyond just as a head coach. And and then this year we know he wasn't at the Senior Bowl, you know, in it it does seem odd, but it odd might be their process.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's the nice <laughs> that's the nice way of putting it. Um, I, I will tell you that I, I did um I did hear that Jay Gruden evaluated all of these free agent quarterbacks in significant detail more so than in recent years, and that he did like uh, Case Keenum, um, and that uh, he was fo- he, he was he was impressed with the tape. He was impressed with the competitiveness, um, you know, the baller aspect, which is what I think he likes in Colt McCoy as well, and probably what he did not like necessarily in Kirk Cousins, who is more, right. as we know, a process uh, Cerebral, guy. Right, um, yeah. But I, but I think that Jay, with respect, and Jay
0: to the, said that about the competitive side of Case. He said that on Thursday. Whenever we got to talk to him um, at the Landon Collins Presser, he, he said that exactly. He liked his competitiveness and you know his willingness to. To take on small challenges, or the court might have been. With,
1: I, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is, on the report, I would definitely uh, agree with. More likely than not, he had no idea about the Landon Collins signing until the media, until hearing it through the media. I would be surprised if he didn't have a say in the Case Keenum trade. Um, I think that he was asked uh, this year to really evaluate those free agent quarterbacks. Remember, last year he admitted that he didn't even look at any of the uh, uh, college quarterbacks before the Alex Smith trade was basically, you know, given to him, um, which he had nothing to do with. Uh, but I think that he that he had some say in the Case Keenum trade. Um, that's my guess, anyway, based on some of the things I've heard. Real quickly. Well, and, and you go, yeah. Sorry, go, go no. No. Go ahead.
0: I was just going to say it's worth. I think fans paying attention to what teams they seem able to to work with, and and then kind of project that out. Like it was very weird that the Redskins hosted the Broncos for a preseason game last year. Like it's very odd for teams to travel that far, but they did, and, and clearly they're, they've now had two trades with Denver in the last. 18 months between Craven and now Case Keenum, like that, that's just something for fans to like keep an eye on. When you look at who the organization deals with very well, right. and, and one key on that is always preseason games. Like they're only going to play the Ravens because it's close and it's cheap for all parties. But wherever they're traveling to, like they go to Tampa every year. They're not playing Tampa. But like those kinds of things are, are something that fans should take notice of.
1: Uh, but by the way, one other thing on, on Case Keenum and Jay Gruden. I still believe that Jay Gruden would have been fine going into this offseason with Colt McCoy and drafting a young quarterback and then maybe signing an undrafted, you know, quarterback as the third guy. Or, you know, I, I, I and I still believe that he thinks that Colts got a good chance to beat out Case Keenum. I'm just suggesting that he actually did you know, watch a lot of film on Case Keenum and have an opinion with the organization on Case Keenum. Um, the, the other things that happened or uh, were, were, you know, were reported over the weekend or tweeted out over the weekend were other players like Eric Flowers and now, you know, a, a linebacker as well. What's their next move, do you believe, whether it's free agency or trade? Like what what what's what's in the works right now?
0: I think it's going be depth guys now. Like what we saw with DRC, I think there'll be more of that with Flowers. I mean, I people think Flowers is coming in to compete. He, that is nothing but depth. And if you remember, yep. you know, Ty and Secky just got paid by the bill. Ty and Secky was a, a big time project when he got to Washington. And uh, I think Flowers honestly is a project as well that, that you hope Bill Callahan can work with and, and, and get fixed over time. Um, I think... I don't, They might have to spend a little bit of money to bring in a pass rusher, but I don't think they're going to bring in Justin Houston or anything, even though I, I think he could help. I think that's the one spot if you can find some cash and you bring a veteran pass rush specialist in, I, I think it would make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, I I still have Shane Ray on my list. He hasn't been signed by anybody. Sure. I don't think um but there could be a reason for that too. Uh he he's coming off a bunch of injuries. Um there was Clay Matthews is you yeah. know I mean there are there are guys out there. But see I that just don't that don't know what the cost is, be. The Clay Matthews thing I was thinking about that and the Justin Houston thing. That those are the those are the guys that they're going to sign with a team that they think will contend. They're the they're the old veteran, don't you think that you know they'll wait it out until a contender. They get through the draft, and then there's a contender that needs a specialty pass rusher that they think they can, you know, play playoff games with. That they'll sign with. I, I, that's my guess. Is that that's how that'll play out? There was, and I'm I'm forgetting his I name. Right. Uh, there, there's a linebacker that was rumored. Did you have that, or did somebody else have that from over the weekend?
0: I haven't. The the name I heard a couple of weeks ago was a Rams inside linebacker. I think his name is Barron. Does that sound right? I'd have to well, look at my notes.
1: Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if that's
0: who you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I think Mark Barron is is the, you know, the other Bama guy that's sort of a hybrid safety linebacker. But I, I'm thinking of somebody else. Actually, Aaron. Yeah, the the yeah.
0: name I've heard a bunch of is uh, the tight end, Jared Cook. But I, I don't know that he's actually visited. I mean, a lot of this is just like, Crazy text messages you get this time of year. So
1: uh, Brandon Copeland is is the name that I was trying to pull up. Uh, Kime had that over the weekend, um, but again, that's that's not a it's not a starter. You know, right now, like the, the names that are popping up, Flowers, like you mentioned, is a backup. Like he's a Ty Enseki replacement. You know, he, he was a total bust in New York. Um, Copeland played in New York last year with the Jets, I believe um yeah i mean it's right now after landing collins and a trade for keenum and more activity in the first couple of days of free agency more reports of big names and the redskins being involved in those we're back to now uh bruce allen we're gonna end up with ball, brandon copeland and eric and flowers and, and and a retired yeah. drc think about We've, we had two coaches that didn't have any other choices that were called out of retirement, and Ryan and Horton. You got a player who's basically retired that you're bringing back. It's so far, JP, they haven't improved themselves. They really haven't improved the team.
0: Well, it depends on what you're comparing it to. I, I would say if you're comparing to week 16 and 17, where you had Josh Johnson and they've improved. Just,
1: Injury, they, they've yeah.
0: stabilized the quarterback situation, right? You're not going to have you, uh, barring something unforeseen, you're not going to go back to the Mark Sanchez, Josh Johnson world by, by having Keenum and Colt, and they still, to me, absolutely have to draft a quarterback. Um, I, I, think, I think Collins helps on the back end because you don't have Swearinger. You have nothing there. I, I think he helps. Uh, but no, it, it, has there been dramatic improvement? No. The only thing I think they have raised their floor. I, I think with Keenum there, three and thirteen is off the table. I, I think six and ten, seven and nine is is right in line with what we're looking at, and and seven and nine is what they've done the last few years. Um, maybe I, I maybe Geist comes back and they really figure something out between he and Adrian Peterson and. You know, one wild card in all this is Ruben Foster. If he's able to play beyond just all the off field trouble, he's dealt with injuries too. Like, he's missed time because of on field stuff. So if he can play and he can play at the level that teams saw him coming out of Bama, which was a top 10 pick, you know, that defense could look a lot better. Again, I don't think there's been dramatic improvement. I think Collins helps a lot at a position that was a giant hole, though.
1: Uh, Three more quick ones, and then I'll let you run, and I, I appreciate this as always. Um, First of all, what do you think Kareem Hunt's suspension of eight games says about what Reuben Foster will get? Just take a guess.
0: I don't know. I, I, I've i thought for a while Reuben Foster gets four games, appeals it to three, uh, because the Jameis Winston situation, he got three games there's no video and there's no court documents you know there's been no as far as the courts go foster's been pretty clear right um and there's no video i think the, the video really hurts with kareem hunt
1: second thing um right now uh at the, when when they're on the clock uh night one of the draft will they be holding 15 and if so you know will they go quarterback
0: you know i just wrote about this on our website um it's starting to look more and more like a QB could actually slide to them because I think Kyler Murray is totally gone. I think he goes number one to Arizona. I think the, the Jags are out of the quarterback market by spending all that money on polls. The Dolphins seem like they're going. They're waiting for 2020. Maybe that's a smokescreen, but the Brian Fitzpatrick signing and then Schefter saying they're waiting for Tua, it, it seems pretty clear. The Bengals haven't traded or released Andy Dalton, which makes me think they're hanging on to Dalton and won't go QB. The Broncos seem to like Flacco, and, and, and you know I think Elway certainly wants a veteran, a big strong arm veteran. So really, it's just the Giants that seem like a team that definitely needs a quarterback. Maybe the Raiders, but who knows what the Raiders are doing? So I think it's possible. Drew Locke is there at fifteen, or I certainly think it's possible Daniel Jones is there at fifteen, and I think there's a growing possibility that somebody like Dwayne Haskins is even there. I think that's that's still a slim chance, but I, you know, all along Doug Williams has said we'll take a quarterback at fifteen. That'll be the easy choice, and and, and I think it, it could certainly happen.
1: Um, the, there was a report over the weekend that the giants are not, uh, in the Haskins business anymore. I, this is not a surprise to me. Cooley also did a film breakdown, thought he would had high bust potential. Um, and I, I was told last week, I think I mentioned this Aaron on Friday or Thursday, I forget when that, um, Jay Gruden is involved in looking at these rookie quarterbacks this year, uh, and he's not a massive be crazy fan. Not to have him involved. Yeah, he's not a massive fan of Haskins. I think either. they're
0: gonna like Locke in the build at Redskins Park. Locke seems like their kind of guy yep. to me.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right. Oh, by the way, I found one other uh, one other thing real quickly, and I was looking to, uh, for it uh, as we were talking because I, I barely remembered it, and I just found it. You know, Scott McLuhan said about he was asked a few years ago about why he took Jamison Crowder and didn't take Stefan Diggs. Diggs went in the fifth round to Minnesota, Crowder in that same draft, fourth round to the Redskins. And he made a comment that there was a lot of information out there that it was best that Diggs not play in his hometown. which. I you know Diggs had some issues, but I, they, they weren't. I didn't think there were major issues. His his big risk coming out of Maryland was injury. You know he had had some injuries, he had a broken leg. Yeah. yeah, but the talent was was off the charts. Um, as you know, I don't know
0: anything on that, but I would also imagine he's been out of college for years, five yeah, years now. Right. I think he would. Whatever that was, I would imagine would not be an issue anymore I and mean, people a, just grow up you know what I mean
1: here's a McLuhan's quote at the time this is two years ago there were some background things lingering that made us nervous I can't go into them but it sounded like me meeting with the, with the coaches and me meeting with him and the scouts the best thing was for him to go maybe somewhere else from the area just because of the background stuff close but quote
0: might that also be
1: Scott McLuhan
0: CYA, CYA a little bit because Diggs looked like a star and Crowder. He looked good. Wasn't big.
1: Yeah, I, I guess it's funny how. I and mean, that stuff happens when it, coaches and folks say stuff after the fact. Of course, uh, no, not there's. Look, M- McLuhan though. Actually, I never felt like you know was a cover your ass kind of a guy personally. Um, you know, as long as he was uh, sure. coherent. But I, but I, I, I would say, <laughs> I, I would say that a lot of times teams end up having a much better sense. It's strange, as as much information as there there is that's out there. Take Adam Thielen, he's the perfect example. Sometimes teams really know the players locally much better than the rest of the teams, and you have sort of insight, you see them play more, you have a chance to see them play more live, you end up having more of a relationship with the local coaching staff than potentially you do with others. Um, so maybe they did know something, um, at that point. Uh, by the way, I did have one other subject cause I did not address this when I, when I was talking about the Redskins earlier in the show and I was saving it for you and I nearly forgot, but, um, I think you and I texted back and forth on this. I texted back and forth with a number of people yesterday on this. And I thought I did with you. Maybe I didn't, but How about this, and for those of you that didn't see it, the Redskins on social media, let's just say... Oh,
0: the St. Patrick's
1: Day thing. Yeah, let's just say they're a little bit limited uh, when it comes to brain power and social media. They put out a tweet yesterday on St. Patrick's Day, not this Sunday, not ever, and attached a letter that they wrote, Dear Loyal Redskins fan, this is your excuse note to not wear green for St. Patrick's Day. As a diehard fan, we know the struggle this holiday puts you in. We don't want to wear green, and we know you don't either. So if someone comes up and pinches you because you're wearing something beautiful like burgundy and gold instead of some awful green color, we give you permission to pinch back. We hope our rivals in New York and the middle to north Texas area take part in our boycott as well. Love the Washington Redskins. They shouldn't get off social media because it's too important, you know, in this day and age. Sure. But my God, I mean, who is overseeing some of this stuff? Do they read the replies? The replies to this one may be the funniest of all time.
0: Did you see what the Eagles replied? <laughs> the Eagles said... That, that was... They ethered them. They, I mean, they ended... <laughs> it, it, that was... Uh, they took that one on the chin.
1: Yeah, for the, sure. the Eagles, the actual Eagles Twitter account... And by the way, for those that missed out on the clever tweet, this was a shot at the Eagles who, if you didn't know, wear green. You know, their uniforms are green. But the Eagles' Twitter account replying to the Redskins, but what about this and they have a picture attached what about this sunday a picture attached to a fedex field late in december what was was that january 1st i don't even know what day it was that was filled with green in their own stadium i mean did they not see that they were leading with their chin on this one did they not understand that
0: they missed the mark on that one bad it was um and and i mean i saw when i saw that there were i i would say hundreds of replies Um, uh
1: thousands now
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, somebody social media is tricky. You try to make a joke and it just goes poorly. But I I think that wasn't really thought out all that well.
1: It's unbelievable to me. I mean, I, I was part of this thing in, in, in terms of, you know, the owner and a, and a group that he had owning the radio station that I worked at for nearly 15 years. And you, you see a lot of what I saw now. It is, CJ and I used to have this thing we would do with each other because we're both diehard, born and raised Redskin fans who have just sure. been, you know, had the life beaten out of us over, over the last, you know, decade plus. And we used to do this thing with each other where when something like this happened, you know, a tweet like this came out or, you know, something stupid that, you know, Bruce would say or a coach would say, we would just look at each other and we would just say, we're never going to win and that's when I see that, that's my reaction. And I say we because I'm a fan, I'm a lifelong fan that wishes and hopes for them to actually win again at some point. And when you see this, and it's small shit, right? It's social media, but it's reflective of what some of us who have been sort of, not inside necessarily, but close to people who are inside, have seen for a long time now. There are major intellectual limitations in this organization. They just do one stupid thing after another. It's gone on for years, and when you see it, it's just like, God damn, they are never going to win.
0: Uh, You know what I've said? I think you need to get lucky and find a franchise quarterback. And that can dramatically change things. But then there are some that will argue they had one and let him walk away for a compensatory third-round pick. So, to me, it's – because I also – I don't see them bottoming out, really. I, I don't see a top five pick in their future. So you need to find Aaron Rodgers at, at, at 22 or, or whatever the draft pick is. You know, that, that's kind of what what I see as as the way to getting back to winning. You know, significant, sustainable, winning playoff game football.
1: What you said is true. It's the it's like the legitimate, if you're being as objective as anyone can be in, in viewing this situation. And it's hard for all of us to be objective because we're, we're born and raised Washingtonians. We're lifelong fans, the whole thing. But what you said is really where I've come to as a conclusion. It's like they're going to have to luck into it. You know, like the Cardinals were a horrible organization, a cheap, horrible, dumb organization organization for a long time and they lucked into larry fitzgerald and kurt warner you know kurt warner came via trade you know and and they you know they had two superstars hall of famers and they had that mini run and by the way they lucked into a good coach who was not you know on anybody's top tier list of big name coaches he was was a hell of a coordinator you know in pittsburgh and and in various other places as a coach um, but it really will almost take a stroke of luck. And that's what you're hoping for, what you said. Like, somehow they stumble into the next Patrick Mahomes.
0: Or or even, Kevin, maybe just not bad luck. I mean, if you look at last season, and and I know, I don't think any of us thought they were a world-beater team, right? But, I mean, before the Smith injury, and maybe even if Colt doesn't get hurt, they're probably making the playoffs. They They almost made the playoffs. With Josh Johnson. So I, I think even if you could just limit the bad luck would help. The, the bad luck for the franchise has been really pretty remarkable the last few seasons. Because I, I, I don't think Jay Gruden is Vince Lombardi. But I think if you look at the talent, especially the talent difference between these Redskins teams the last few years and, and other franchises. Just when you talk about you know, elite talent. All pro-type talent. The Skins don't have much, if any. They really don't have much of it, and yet they keep staying in contention. It just seems like, I mean, Jay Gruden said this at the podium uh, during a press conference, which is pretty remarkable. And it seems like there's a dark cloud hanging over that franchise. And until, you know, the sun comes out, it's hard to see much changing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I know what you're saying, and you know, people have made the argument here in recent years. They they've had some competitive seasons, like they actually had back to back winning records, you know, which hadn't happened in in nearly, I think it was 19 years when they had them. Dude,
0: an eight seven and one doesn't
1: count. I I, really. I know, but they were actually, you know, they they had it. Ch- they had a legitimate chance to go to the playoffs in back-to-back years but you're right they weren't a contender just like last year they weren't a contender and we right. can debate whether or not they would have made the playoffs they were not a 6 and 3 team when Alex Smith got hurt they were really on the verge of be becoming a 6 and 4 team when he got hurt with a brutal schedule you know including the Eagles twice twice and the Cowboys you know on the road still to go so whether or not they would have made the playoffs is debatable um, but they certainly weren't a contender tender um no and
0: you saw the few times they played the saints the colts i mean they just they got, got blown out yeah
1: yeah they got blown out but um anyway i don't know i whenever these things happen like yesterday that's my reaction cj doc and i have always like we ha- we've always looked oh, at each other text
0: thread? i feel like i've heard about this text thread
1: yeah yeah i mean it's it's like we're never gonna win like we want them to we want it to be different it's not from a lack of 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 hope that springs eternal, um, certainly in the fall springs eternal in the autumn, but it's just, these are the things that continue to happen. And they're not, they're not accidents. They're not aberrations. There is, there's a cultural, um, root cause for all of this. Um, and, uh, but then again, it's the NFL and every season, You get lucky. You draft Patrick Mahomes, and something something could happen that could be great. It just never seems to happen to them. Um, I'll let you run. Uh, Thanks. Um, Talk to you later. Let's get together. I mean, it's a big. You and I love this. The the next couple of weeks of of March Madness. And I uh,
0: I just realized I have to go up to Connecticut on Thursday, and I'm going to be on a train when Maryland tips off.
1: Are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, you got to change. You
1: got to change that. I
0: know. I'm well. Ideally. (laughs) You know, if they win that one Saturday, I can uh, I can plant myself firmly and watch it. But that app is pretty good. I'll be able to watch it on the train.
1: Yeah, so. you will. Um, Not all right. Way. Follow JP on Twitter. Listen to the Redskins Talk podcast. It's great. Um, you also said you've got You guys have an app now where you can watch the podcast.
0: Yeah, so we're doing more and more of like the podcast as a show, basically. Last week, when I tried to get you in studio, we I did know, it as deaf. a show all week for free agency. And uh, I, I, am. it's going very well. I imagine there will be more of that. I think the next one, when we do that, will probably be, I'm hoping we go down to Nashville and do it live from the draft.
1: All right, thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay, Kev, take care.
1: Thanks to JP uh, for joining us. I always love catching up with JP. Um, real quickly, though, on on the report from EB, um, from the Junkies, uh, that the Redskins um, have not consulted head coach Jay Gruden on any of their offseason moves. Uh, he cited a source and said, I'm told he heard about the Landon Collins signing through the media. Um, yeah, I mean, this has been the MO, and we talked about this on Friday to a certain degree, um, on the Doug Williams comments. But just to emphasize once again, because as we were sitting here talking to, uh, to JP, I did text somebody and I heard back from that somebody. He was definitely involved um, and had some influence on the Case Keenum trade. Uh, I totally believe that on the Landon Collins trade, he pro- that, and, and a lot of the other things, C.J. Mosley, the interest in Antonio Brown, that perhaps he was not Involved in that as well. But I do believe that Jay probably spent more time than in recent years watching film on free agent quarterbacks, which, you know, watching uh, film on quarterbacks that could be traded for, you know, Josh Rosen, Case Keenum, um, free agent quarterbacks like Teddy Bridgewater and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, And I think he's going to spend more time watching, you know, potential drafted quarterbacks than he has in recent years. Now, Are they listening to him? Uh, No, but they have, I think, reached out and asked him to do some of this legwork and want his opinion on this perhaps more than in recent years. I do know that Jay likes Case Keenum, thinks he can play. Does he like him as much as Colt McCoy? No. And did I say a few weeks ago that if they end up with somebody other than Colt McCoy starting a quarterback this year, that it is a clear-cut indication that Jay had no input on who was starting quarterback was going to be in 2019. I did say that, but I also know that he was, uh, involved and, and had some influence in the case Keenum trade, or at least I, I, I feel very strongly that he did more so than in recent years. Um, and that he will have a choice going into the off season, uh, as to whether or not it's Colt McCoy or case Keenum or a rookie quarterback. Now, if they Is it possible that Bruce Allen's going to draft a quarterback at 15 or trade up or trade back for a quarterback in the draft that Jay doesn't necessarily love? Yes, that's, it, that's totally in play. Totally in play. Um, what does it mean uh, as far as Jay Gruden is concerned? Uh, look, is it a revelation that this is more likely than not a lame duck season for him? But then again, to be fair, last year, I thought, was a potential lame duck season or it was a a season that he had to make the postseason and I would definitely feel the same way about this upcoming season that if they don't have a a big time year they're going to move on from Jay Gruden but with this organization who the hell knows and what we're also finding out and I mentioned this earlier who can they attract at this point launch workplaces in bethesda is a uh is an office location that you should consider if you live in the bethesda area the bethesda area the upper northwest dc area Um, if you are looking for a new place to work from you're working from home the kids are allowed the pets are allowed uh, you've got a small office that isn't working out for you somewhere else or you've got to move out consider launch workplaces in bethesda it's a beautiful new space fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks at cafe, free parking and 24 seven access. You can find out all you need to know at launchworkplaces.com. They've got other locations around the city as well. Uh, this Bethesda location is beautiful. You can call right now for a free two day trial, 240-867-14 or visit launchworkplaces.com. That's 240-867-14 or launchworkplaces.com did you have a busy weekend don't worry we've got you covered it's time for weekend dvr all right let's finish up with a few things from the weekend that we haven't talked about the caps uh i did watch some of that game saturday night against Tampa. i did i watched mostly the acc tournament but i did watch some of that game and uh it was exciting they they cut a, a 3-1 lead uh to 4-3 had a chance late ended up giving up two uh, empty netters losing six to three uh, the Islanders won last night, uh, got an overtime win, and they are tied now with the Caps and the Metropolitan. Both of both of them with 91 points. The Pens actually missed out on an opportunity uh, to be in a first place tie by losing to the Blues and then losing an overtime game to the Flyers last night. So three missed opportunity uh, point opportunities for the Pens. They could have been sitting here in a first place tie with the islanders in the caps as well instead they're at 88 points three back uh carolina won a game and they're sitting there at 85 it's crazy um the metropolitan the caps uh, with the devils uh and then they have two more games with tampa and they you know they have a game uh you know late uh, in the year against the islanders at home that may decide the metropolitan winner can you imagine that if they play the islanders in that final game of the regular season? against their coach their former coach uh their stanley cup winning coach uh for uh first place in the metropolitan uh the wizards two games uh over the weekend that we didn't have a chance to talk about they beat the grizzlies uh 135 28 lost to the hornets uh they've won three out of their four so far in that homestand that they're on they play the jazz tonight beal had 40 he's been going off scoring wise it's impressive there's still some plays like at the end of that grizzlies game where he had a turnover, and then he should have had a second straight turnover on key possessions. Drives me nuts uh, watching it uh, every once in a while. Um, other than that, the football free agency from over the weekend: the Dolphins signed Ryan Fitzpatrick to a two-year, eleven million dollar contract. So he did get in that five to six million dollar range. I thought it could go as high as seven or eight, but Fitzpatrick's their starter. To me, doesn't mean that they won't draft a quarterback at thirteen overall. I still could see the Dolphins if they like somebody taking a quarterback so I think the stories of the Dolphins being out of the quarterback market in the draft are overrated and then Ryan Tannehill got dealt to Tennessee he's the perfect backup for Marcus Mariota um, much more so than Blaine Gabbert was uh, and Tennessee gave up a seventh round and 2024th fourth round pick um, for Tannehill uh, you know the Tannehill versus the Case Keenum deal I think the Keenum deal's better, personally. Um, anyway, uh, it does appear, however, that what's left on this whole thing is that the Redskins may be the only team in the Josh Rosen market. Unless Denver is, I guess Miami could still be in it, and I guess the Giants, Giants could still be in yeah. it. So, even that's wrong. Uh, that's it. What we're, else happened from over the week? Oh, the golf. I watched a lot of the golf, and Rory was phenomenal. I really was rooting for Fleetwood, because I had him in my golf pool, uh, and he put one, yoked one into the water at 17. He was really going for it at that point. But he had eagled 16, had a chance there. But McElroy won it.
2: Real quick, this just in, uh, Brian Quick, back with the Redskins.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! They, I mean, right now, they have signed basically players that don't have any other choice, coaches who don't have any other choice, and a player that grew up dreaming about playing for their organization. All right, enjoy the day. Back tomorrow with our brackets. We'll fill them out right here on the show.